When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan. Uh, I think I'm becoming a parody of myself. I think that might have happened 20 years ago for that matter. I think the parody is becoming greater now because I know what I'm going to say. And if you listen all the time, you're like, you say this every time, dude. So you're the boy who cried wolf. It's fair point. However, this interview is yet again one of my favorites. And, uh, you know, Andy Van Slyke uh, is the interview playing, um, I think it was Sode 119 or Sode 118, um, our guest the previous week. And I had some people say, that was my favorite. I feel like I get people emailing or sending messages on social media saying, that was my favorite. And I guess it depends on what you're into for it to be your favorite. That, because I feel like over the course of the near year of the, the Tim McKernan show now, uh, I feel like, and I guess that means the math is pretty easy. We've had a new guest every week, um, which is, I, I now have a, a great appreciation for how difficult it is to do that, especially when I'm not just like taking any guests that the producers come up with. Uh, we're trying to give you guests that uh, you're going to be interested in. I realize we're not going to hit a home run every time, but uh, for the most part, uh, I'd like to think that we have. So we're approaching 52 weeks of it. And I feel like, oh, at this point, if we've had 50 guests, I would say 30 to 35 different guests I've received some kind of communication, whichever communication it would be, that that one was my favorite. That one was my favorite. No, this one was my favorite. So that's great. And I think it's the guest. I don't think it's I don't think it's me. My goal is to have a comfortable conversation. And so this week's guest, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, is Greg Amsinger of the MLB Network. Now, if you don't know about Greg, what your assumption will be is that, oh, Tim is going to talk about Greg talk with Greg about the Cardinals and their chances to make a run in the playoffs and maybe some off-season stuff and some Mike Schilt, Mike Matheny stuff. And it'll be like, you know, every single interview I've heard on any sports talk radio station over the last 30 years. And you know what? I don't, I wouldn't blame you for that. Some of you are probably aware, however, that Greg is from St. Louis. Um, Greg and I had have still not met. I don't believe uh, but Doug Vaughn, my co-host in the Ryan Kelly Morning After, said he interned at KMOV uh, when I was there. And I'm like, God, am I that big of a prick that I don't remember that? And it's definitely possible that I'm that big of a prick. That certainly is within the realm of probability. But that I wouldn't remember him with my weird-ass memory, that I wouldn't remember him, that would freak me out. Uh, and fortunately, as we discuss over the course of this interview, uh, he was there in 1999. I didn't get to KMOV until 2000. But Greg and I are only two years apart age-wise. I'm 41. He's 39. 
And, uh, and we both grew up in South City. So South City is just spinning out these quote-unquote, if I can use the term young, broadcasters. Uh, because you have Dan McLaughlin, who grew up, God, if he grew up a mile and a half from me, I'd be surprised. We're both in St. Gabriel's Parish. You have Amsinger, who grew up in South City, legit South City, St. John the Baptist Parish. So you're talking like Bevo Mill. Uh, and then Hay Kay Adams of the NFL Network. Uh, she's in, she was in St. Joan of Arc Parish. I don't think she was like like me and McLaughlin, uh, and to a lesser extent, Greg, where that was where we grew up like our entire childhoods. And my family still lives on Tam Avenue. And Dan's uh, mom, if I'm not mistaken, still lives in South City. Uh, but uh, who knew? It's a hot hotbed of uh, broadcasters. Uh, and in the case of Dan and Greg. In K, St. Louis can be proud of what they've done. In the case of me, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, he's the pervert boy. But it's been an honor to have both uh, Dan on from spring training. We did live from spring training and now Greg. And I want to get Hey K on. So, Gangster Pete, put that on the list of uh, people. I would love to have Hey K on because Hey K, whose show, Good Morning Football, and also does a lot of fantasy sports stuff, is killing it on the NFL. But Hey K, just like we all have, we all have stories, uh, was waiting tables with my wife at Willie's in Columbia. So, hey, Kay went from that, knew she loved fantasy football, saw an opportunity, and moved to New York, and now is killing it. God bless her uh, to get in the car and go and take a chance, tip of the cap. Even if it didn't work out, I'd go, good for you. Amsinger's story is, is absolutely, for my money, because, and I think some people like these conversations. They like the inside baseball broadcasting. I'm always kind of surprised by that but now that i've been told by so many people i like when you talk about the inside baseball broadcasting even though to me it seems like something that only the people in broadcasting would give a shit about uh now that i've heard enough people say it i'm just like okay if you like it then i'm gonna give it to you i know i like it but i do this and so i'm always kind of enamored i don't think we use terms that you know if you're talking with an attorney or a doctor they're going to use terms that you have no clue of fortunately our business is so you know you can do it with a with a preschool or education that i don't think we're going to say anything over the course of this interview that is uh, like well what are they talking about but it certainly is a parallel in a sense of paths that greg and i traveled and i'm talking about where we grew up uh to what we were doing coming out of school and then decisions we both had and also as it turns out, uh, Greg, I guess, I don't know, I don't know how it'll play out nationally. Maybe it'll wind up making national news. Maybe it won't. Talks about an opportunity that he had for a show that has gotten all kinds of attention over the last uh, six months, I would guess. But uh, it's been talked about for longer than that. And how that was a fork in the road for his career and how it kind of ran parallel to the fork in the road for a couple forks in the road for my career. Bottom line is this. I loved this interview. I think you're going to love this interview. Uh, it's high risk to pump it up this much um, because uh, it sets a bar, but I'm comfortable doing it. Greg and I stayed on the phone for like another 15 minutes, by the way, after we got done. That, that would have been entertaining to, to hear that. Uh, maybe we'll make that a premium channel where we violate the uh, off the record and just start playing the conversations and, and get run out of the business within three days. But uh, listen, I, here's, here's, what, here's what it comes down to. I don't know what happened along the way in the business, and maybe it'll change back. But at this particular moment in broadcasting, and I would I would go as high up as you know uh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, 
uh, to as low down as whatever it is that I do with my career. There isn't a lot of that, oh, if you do this and you're kind of in the same field as me, then publicly I might say that I'm happy for you, but privately I'm like, fuck you, I'm better, I should get the job. I don't think that, like with Rizzuto uh, from 105.7, we both are kind of doing the same thing, even though he's on FM on a, on a rock station and I'm on a sports talk station. We're both kind of reaching the same, somewhat same demographic, I think. But yet I think the world of the guy, and I, I've been texting with him more than damn near anybody over the last week or so, uh, you know, there, there's absolutely no animosity on, from anybody at uh, on, the, on the Ryan Kelly morning after toward anybody at 101 ESPN just you know we kind of do different things I doubt they're really into what we do and I'm not wasn't into what they do but it's not like I'm like mad about it I'm just like yeah you guys talk hardcore sports for my money that's not what I'm into we talk about bizarro world shit I know that's not what you're into sweet you like hamburgers we like pizza we can both coexist who gives a shit so with Amsinger I'm super happy for him. I already was just appreciated, you know, his ability as it was just as a viewer. Uh, and I really appreciated what he said on the trade deadline of 2018. And we get into that. Um, but then hearing his story, uh, I, I now have I, I'm now like even more happy for him. And then this is the first time we've ever talked extensively. Um, I, I would assume he's been on the radio show. I guess he has because he talks about it. Uh, but it's the first time we've ever talked extensively kind of one on one. And I just really like the guy. I have an appreciation for his ability, but I'm also appreciative of the work ethic and what he did to get where he is and his appreciation for the good fortune that, you know, he has had. So anyway, I loved this interview. And here's why. We talk broadcasting. We talk the business, his career story for, I don't know if this were a pie chart, maybe 50 to 60 percent of it. Uh, then kind of talk about our careers in, the, in those pivotal moments in the broadcasting business. Uh, for, I don't know, 20% of it, and then 20% of it. Really, from my standpoint, this is the kind of Cardinal discussion I like to have. It's like when Gould and I do uh, kind of the state of the Cardinal stuff, um, where it isn't like, a, yeah, you know, coming up, they got Michaelis going, and then they'll have Flaherty, so I like their chances against the Giants. And then you sit there, and you're just like jerked off into a coma of boredom. And I'm out. I'm, when that stuff's going on in the radio show, trust me, I'm looking at Instagram. I'm seeing what Abigail Mack is posting. That's what's going on in the radio show. So I don't want to ever want to do it on the podcast where this is my own little little world to play. So what Greg and I got into regarding the Cardinals is his rant on July 31st at about 2 o'clock St. Louis time, an hour before the trade deadline, where the Cardinals, when the Cardinals had just traded Tommy Pham about four hours beforehand, and... He said, why don't they just trade Carpenter and Ozuna and Molina, for that matter? And Harold Reynolds goes, you would be willing to do that? He goes, yeah. He goes, because this fan base is spoiled. There's no more spoiled fan base in professional sports than the Cardinals fans. And if you didn't know, he was from St. Louis. I think there would have been pitchforks outside of the studios in New Jersey because a lot of people knew he was a Cardinal fan from St. Louis. He was able to say it. But his reasoning we go into here in this, and then also his perspective on the Cardinals' chances in 2018 as things stand now. Uh, and the reasoning I found to be just a really good baseball discussion. So it's all there. If the broadcasting stuff bores you out of your mind, God bless you. Fine by me. Fast forward, man. I listen to my uh, porn podcasts, and Holly Randall has somebody on. And I'm like, oh, you're talking about what you did in the rainforest. Not interested. Let's get back to your, you know, first time with a woman. I'm in. Uh, that's that's what. So I'll fast forward. So if you don't want it, that's fine. You you can email me and bitch about it. That's fine. It seems like a lot of people like it, so it's there and it's in in depth. 
uh, with Greg. So I loved the conversation. I told him I was going to keep him 30, 40 minutes. I think we went an hour and 20 minutes. I feel like I say that every time. Be very easy to do an impression of me because I'm saying the same shit every time. But I mean it. I'm sitting here and I'm just being honest and I'm flowing and this is what I think. But I loved this interview. Uh, and I am very grateful for both Greg's time, uh, his candor for certain, and also uh, for our sponsors who make this possible. Because without it, we, we wouldn't, I mean, as, much, as long as we do, you know, hour-long segments on TMA, we can do this stuff. But you can't do like a one-on-one kind of interview uh, in morning drive for an hour. I mean, it's just not, it's, it's rare. Like Stern does it, and that's about it, uh, at least at this point. So... Loved the conversation and very grateful for Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies for uh, being our guest sponsor. Um, matter of fact, I just played golf with Mark Hanna and, um, and we were BSing and it's thrilling for me. Not that it's surprising, but uh, it's thrilling and I hope that doesn't come off the wrong way that people who listen to the podcast are starting to reach out to him because that's exactly what happened with James Carlton of the Carlton uh, State Farm Insurance Agency in Webster Groves. And that's the name of the game. If that doesn't happen for, for the people who advertise on the shows I'm associated with, I'm not going to have shows. So that it needs to happen. So that's why I always say, please support the sponsors. Mark Hanna is online at evergreenstl.com. His number is 314-889-0503, 314-889-0503, evergreenstl.com. And so, you know, we just got, I mean, we literally got done playing about an hour ago and, uh, you know, I hung out had a beer afterwards. I'm, I'm, I'm three quarters of a beer in, if you would like to know exactly where I am right now. So I'm obviously lit. And, uh, and I was, you know, talking to him about, you know, what he does, which is he's essentially bottom line. I would call him a, you know, a, a financial advisor. I assume that's what he would call himself. Um, but I think there's a lot more to it. And as over the last couple of years, and I really want to drive this point home because I, I, I hope if you listen, you at the very, you might not like me and, and I don't, I don't like me either. So we have that in common, but hopefully you trust me. And when I'm saying these things, uh, hopefully you know that I'm not just saying them because the person's a sponsor, because while we were out there playing golf, I, as I was telling him 16th hole, I can picture where I was. Uh, I said, yeah, it's just so good that the people who are advertising on the show, uh, Johnny Landoff, Ryan Kelly, Seth Goldcamp, designer, heating and cooling, James Carlton, and you, Mark, are people who, you know, I mean, I'm doing a spot right now, but I'm totally ad-libbing it because I've gotten to know these people and I know that if I refer our listeners to them, I'm not vouching for some shady operation that's going to wind up fucking the listeners out of money. I don't ever, ever want to do that. And I was telling him about a client in the past uh, where a couple people got back to me and said, hey, you know, I didn't have a really good experience here. And I said, then that's it. I, I, I will not do a spot for that that business again. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't break that trust with the listeners where I'm referring. Now, you might go, oh, I already got a guy or I already got a lady. And they handle my money, and I'm happy with it. Here is here is what I want to make sure I drive home because it's become more and more important to me. Um, I'll tell a little anecdote about it. I took my father; was very lucky enough to do this. We are certainly not members at Bell Reeve. Uh, Mike Tucker, who's a loyal listener of TMA, he's the head pro at Bell Reeve, and I said, "I'm going to fire this shot." You might say you're out of line, and if you do, that's fine. I, at least I took my shot, but it's my dad's birthday, and I want to be able to take him out there and play because I know he's never played there and he might shoot 180, but 
I want him to be able to experience it, especially with still some of the stands and, and all of that from the PGA Championship there. And Mike was kind enough to, to get us on, and we got to play it. And apropos of nothing, I have no idea what this was about. And I think my dad, oh, I know my dad listens to the podcast, so he might be listening to this. But as we were going from the 17th green, the 17th hole where Tiger kind of imploded, uh, to the 18th tee at Bell Reeve, where Kepka somehow was like 60 yards out uh, after his tee shot, uh, my dad said, you know what, Timmy, you take the, take this for whatever you want. I, you do whatever you want with it. He goes, but I would really focus on making sure you've got a good guy to handle your money, a good person to handle your money. And I just, I'm just telling you, take it for whatever it's worth. And it was just out of nowhere. We weren't, it's not like we'd been talking about the market or anything like that. And I think it was, I think it was just my dad going, I'm out here with my son. I want to give him some advice. And so since he said that, and since it was apropos of nothing, uh, something that, that, that strikes you probably as you listen to this is logical. Uh, I want to, I want to, it, it's, for me, it's, it's hit even closer to home because this was only a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was poignant. It was poignant because it came at that moment. It came for a day that I know for both of us was very special and it, it drove home the importance of it. It also probably, I'm going to take a different line on it. My dad knows that I fucked up, uh, you know, when I was in my 20s and uh, and 30s, for that matter. And not that I was like, you know, some degen and pissing money away gambling, but I just wasn't organized. And so I left a bunch of strokes out there, so to speak. You know, you look back at the round and you go, yeah, that was good. But my God, it could have been much better. That is how I look at my 20s and 30s with my money. And that is what I'm trying to convey to you right now. And I, and I, I want to emphasize this. And just if you can, trust me on this. This is someone you want to talk to. Just talk to him. You will be incredibly happy you did. Evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. 314-889-0503. I think there are some people who understandably go oh my God, the last thing I can do right now because I'm living paycheck to paycheck or I'm barely scraping by with enough money to go out and enjoy myself or to travel a little bit, maybe once or twice a year, the last thing I can do now is think about somebody telling me, and I don't want to hear the diagnosis, that I need to start doing this and then save or invest when I'm not in a position to do so. And I understand that. That might have been subliminally what was going on with me. But I'm telling you, it's not a case of Mark's going to go, oh, well, you need to now set aside, you know, 20% that you're not setting aside and you're going to have to alter your life. That's not the way it is. My analogy for you is this. You're sitting there going, okay, I'm not in great shape. I know I'm not in great shape. I don't need somebody to tell me I'm not in great shape. I know I need to get up to the gym and just, but I want to go all in. And if I don't go all in, then I'm not going to do it. And then if I have one day where I don't work out, now I'm off track and now it's not even worth it going back the next day. That's not the way to operate. A little bit and just getting organized, which is what he will do for you, will help you in such a major way. If I could go back and just like set aside a hundred bucks at 22 and 23 years old and what that would mean now, nearly two decades later, I mean, oh, I mean, God, I don't know what, what is the math. I should be able to do the math with all the poker. I mean, I think, I think we're talking about twenty to $30,000. And it's just like, what are you doing, you know? That's, that's me looking at myself. So that's what I'm trying to tell you now. This is just, this is a case of, this is a service 
that you probably think you don't need. And I guess by definition, you don't quote unquote need it. But I would tell you that your life will be better for it. So then it's up to you if whether or not you think that that falls under the category of a need. 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna helps people get organized and get a clear picture of what they need. And that right there, just like walking to the gym, you'll feel better and it'll be better for you. And it doesn't matter if all of a sudden now you're running, you know, five miles every day or throwing up a couple hundred pounds on the bench press. If you're working toward it, you're getting better, even if it's a step-by-step process. And the reality is it's always a step-by-step process. Go online at evergreenstl.com or call 314-889-0503. Let them know you heard about them here on the Tim McKernan Show. And I'm telling you, I promise you, I will bet you if I can that you will be happy you made the phone call. I'm just telling you, this is a good one. And his name is Mark Hanna, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. Um, we uh, conducted this interview over the phone lines, and uh, I'm back in St. Louis. Uh, Greg, as you will hear, was uh, sounding like he was on his morning run uh, along the Hudson River in New York. Uh, I guess he was in Jersey, to be exact. And... Uh, and it was a conversation, you know, we hadn't met, and I'm thinking to myself, I hope I can go places here. I don't know, because maybe he's kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm from St. Louis, but I don't really care to spend that much time with you, I, you know. But we wound up, it was it was, it was awesome. It really was. It's like, I, I got to have him back on, like, super soon. It's kind of it's how I felt with the Learn interview uh, from the KC95 morning show. I'd never met her. And, uh, and she was already in the studio when I got here and I'm kind of like, oh, that's not good. You know, she's waiting for me. We had never met, probably has heard I'm a pervert and not real interested in sitting here, but she's going to do it. And then the next thing you know, we, we flow off of each other, uh, and it, it winds up being a great one. That's what I would, I would compare this, except now you got your Cardinal baseball in it as well. Uh, we did it in the homeloanexpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly is the sponsor of the program studios, and we couldn't be more grateful for his support. You know, with Ryan, uh, whereas I'm raving about Mark Hanna and James Carlton, two people I've gotten to know here over the last year and can vouch for them without thinking twice. Uh, Seth Goldcamp of Design Air and Johnny Landoff fall into that same category. Uh, with Ryan, I've known him now for about seven or eight years. And I guess when it gets down to it, I shouldn't be surprised that he has built his business as much as he has. Uh, I'm beyond happy for him. But then when I interviewed him on the podcast and... And I'm like, it's not just about the energy. It's not just about the marketing. This guy knows this industry. So this isn't like a, this isn't like a, oh, he's got a bunch of commercials. So that's why he's successful. This is a guy who works his ass off, who is a really good guy, but he is so smart in the industry. That is why he is successful. And that is why I don't hesitate to send you to him at thehomeloanexpert.com. Whether you're buying a home or you want to refinance, it's Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. So there is my long, long, long intro into Greg Amsinger. I'd like to think you're going to enjoy this conversation. If you don't, you're more than welcome to express that. I've certainly set a high bar for it. I always welcome your feedback because we do three podcasts a week now. Uh, We have our guests every Sunday night, Monday morning. 
Uh, we have our questions from the audience every Wednesday, and we have our Pick 6 with me, Producer Joe, and G-Unit, and that goes up every Thursday where we pick six games, the Missouri game, and then five other games. Uh, and people are liking that format, and I like doing it as well. So we have three podcasts. I'd love your feedback. If you're like, hey, why don't you do this? I, what have you ever thought about doing that? I'm open to the uh, the ideas. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com, or if you have something for questions from the audience. I always welcome the feedback. That's the bottom line. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it. Ladies and gentlemen, from St. John the Baptist grade school, from St. Charles High School, from St. Charles Community College, from Lindenwood University, and joining me in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios via the phone lines from just along the Hudson River in New York, New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Amsinger of the MLB Network here on the Tim McKernan Show. So, so Greg, you're, you're in the process of, of completing a run. I'm picturing you. You're on that uh, trail along the West Side Highway. That's where I've got you. Am I right? Well, I wish I was. I used to be. Um, but then now I'm on the Jersey side of the Hudson. What up, Hoboken? Are and you a Hoboken because- guy? I'm just north of Hoboken. I've got a great spot in Edgewater, New Jersey, an apartment that's got just panoramic views in Manhattan. I absolutely love it. And it's got space. And there are ballparks all over the place on the water. I'm at a diamond right now. Look at you. I take my son to play baseball all the time. So because our studios are in Jersey... This is kind of a bunch of minutiae that people don't care about. No, I, I, I got to tell you, I find this stuff to be fascinating, so get as minutiae-driven right. as you want. Okay, good. So when you're in Manhattan, mm-hmm. you live in Manhattan, live in New York City, and you work in Jersey, you get double taxed. Oh, that's fun. So and The taxes it, are it, so it low. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I decided to just let the state of New Jersey gouge me for money instead of both New York and New Jersey gouging me for money. So that's why I live on the Jersey side. So, but it sounds like you did, based on saying you used to uh, have the uh, the West Side Highway thing. You used to live in Manhattan. Am I correct in that I assumption? Did, I did. Yes, I loved it. I worked for CBS Sports. Their studios were in Chelsea, Lower West Side. Yep, I've been to those. So studios. I got a chance. To, yep, I, I got a chance to um, live. I lived on the Upper East Side, Upper West Side. Uh, Manhattan is a special place. There are some misnomers about it, like, oh, it's not a good place to raise kids. I disagree. My daughter, when she was three years old, hailing cabs, I mean, it was the cutest <laughs> thing ever. And it gave her a little bit of grit. I think she um, uses now uh, going to a swanky private school that she goes to. So she's got this uh, this way about her that I think developed from growing up in the city. It's a good place. Uh, how old are your children? 15-year-old daughter named Vanessa, and I have an 8-year-old son named London. How old is your daughter? She's 15, right? I look like I'm 29. That's what I, that's what I was about to say because I think I'm younger, I'm older than you, but I have a one year old now. I realize I'm on, I'm late, relatively speaking, for the average 41 year old. But you having a 15, <laughs> right. you having a 15 year old catches me off guard. It, it's crazy. Yes, I got married at age 22, right out of Lindenwood. Uh, was with the wife for nine since I was 19, and uh, we. We're, we were married for six months and we got pregnant. It wasn't a planned thing. Uh, but we were both working in Terre Haute, Indiana, on the air in Terre Haute. She was a news reporter. I was a sports guy. Oh, scandalous. And, scandalous. That's scandalous. Oh, my goodness, yes. In Terre Haute, it was probably like the uh, Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston situation. Totally. T- I'm, I, that's, it's serious. Like, <laughs> we're a local celebrity. You, you know all about this. 
they say, look, when you're a local celebrity, there are people that just think that you are the equivalent to Dan Rather. They think Dan Rather works in Terre Haute. You know what I mean? I so, do. I, I did Little Rock out of school, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So we had to use an alias when we were at the hospital and giving birth to this baby. Oh, we you're not, kidding me. Now, that, that actually yes, is to another oh, no. level. There were stalkers. There were people that were obsessed, and no one knew that we were together. No one knew that we were married. Oh so I, there God. were a bunch of rumors as to who she was pre- impregnated by. Whose baby is this? Oh. It was like a Terre Haute soap opera, right? <laughs> she wasn't going by my last name, so it was like a big deal. So we had, you had to have like a, um, a passcode when you went to the front desk to visit us when Vanessa was born. Even relatives had to have the passcode to get in or else they would be like, there's no one by that name here. Oh, yeah. It was like top secret. Oh, my. Now, I had no idea that it went to, to went to that level. Doug said, I, I said to Doug today, Doug Vaughn, my co-host on the on the Rank Elementary After, I said, I'm interviewing Greg Amsinger. And he goes, oh, another Channel 4 intern who went on to much bigger and better things while I sit here. <laughs> what, what year did you intern at Channel 4? Because honestly, I was there as a 23-year-old in 2000. That's when I started there. And I don't remember you. I remember Mike Chops Ritter sending me your tape, yes. but I don't remember you yeah. interning for us. Am I... Did you, was, did you intern I before I got 99. there? All right, yep. good. Because I, I would have felt like such an ass if you were interning there and I didn't remember you. I really would have. I, 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 no, don't, don't feel bad at all. Well, I wasn't there. I was still in Little Rock when you, when I guess you were interning with Doug and Savard, I gather. Yes, and uh, Tim Klutzaris. Timmy right? Klutzaris, a Lindenwood guy also. Yes, absolutely. I loved him. He really spent the most time with me. Uh, no, Doug was busy. Steve was obviously super busy. But Tim was really chill and cool, give me great feedback on my on my reel, uh, you're being a little too over the top, things like that. So, you know, so many people, it happens all the time, we, we just glamorize the guys that are on the air, you know, whether it's radio mm-hmm. or in front of the camera. But so often, it, 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 the, the people behind the scenes, since they have this separation from the, the on-camera or in-the-mic performance of it all, they see it through a much clearer lens. And I really appreciated Tim Klusaris and the way he saw things. It helped me out a lot. I, I think uh, it helped me get my first gig. His, uh, yeah. his advice, guy like Randy Carricker, yeah, things like that, really impacted my career. Yeah, that, that that's that, that. When you say it, that's not surprising to hear. When you have those kinds of people around, those those kinds of influences. So, I'm glad to hear that we weren't there at the same time because that would have weirded me out that I didn't remember you. Uh, so we missed each other by a year, and I do remember Chops Ritter sending me your tape. Uh, but I mean, we're probably yeah. only like two years apart age wise. So I know you're friends with the great Chris Gardner. So uh, <laughs> how, how did the, is, you guys go to high school together? Is that, is that how it started? Am I right? Am I wrong? No, yes, no. We, we Lindenwood? met him in college. Lindenwood. Yeah, Lindenwood. Okay. And he was a friend of a friend. And I thought the dude was like some crazy stoner. Uh, <laughs> well, what what makes you say that you're wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, what I, what I found out was the reason he um, is so awkward. So awkward. That's like the roast of Chris Gardner now. I like this. He, he's one of my great friends. He really is. Yeah, I know this. But the reason he's so awkward is because he's so smart. And he doesn't really relate to a lot of people. I'm not saying that we're, you know, in the city of St. Louis there are a lot of smart people. He's got a, he's got a different shelf of intelligence. And I... I so many people just overlook him, and they, they look at Chris, and they hear his 
you know, dirty jokes and, you know, the way he laughs. Um, They don't look at him as someone that can be so incredibly genius-level smart. The dude is brilliant. And I found myself, like, having so many great nights out drinking, chatting with him. Uh, His jokes were off the charts. I I just – I think he's one of the most unique people I've ever met. It's a great friendship. Um, and so often when I'm on the radio and in St. Louis and I'm on his show or other shows, people know him. I just spend time, like you said, roasting him and ripping him. He's actually a, a wonderful person. He's gone through his own personal struggles. And people that do that, they learn a lot about life. Mm-hmm. I think he has. And I, I, I'm waiting for the day where he has his own show because I think he's a super talent. I like the way he does it. He's got a delivery much like you. Where I know Tim this drives you crazy. This drives me crazy. It might sound like I have a broadcast puker voice, but I swear my my vocal cords are just damaged, <laughs> and I sound this way naturally. <laughs> but I, I can't stand the fake puker voice. The, the young guys in broadcasting today that find the need to be over the top theatrical with the way they deliver things. And Chris didn't doesn't do that. You don't do that. And I look for broadcasters like that because that's a, the ultimate sense of confidence. That I don't need to be something that I'm not. That's a, that's a, that's a that's an astute observation regarding broadcasters. Kind of, I remember Doug Vaughn describing uh, someone uh, is is very affected when they were on the air. That's how he would describe it because it was almost like a performance when they were going live or or anchoring with the way they they altered their uh, voice. And regarding Gardner, I agree. He's one of those guys who he is a producer, but he's kind of, I would describe like plays a hybrid role because he's a producer, but he's great on air. And anybody he's ever produced for, uh, he produced for uh, Derek Gould, Benjamin Hockman, and uh, Ben Fredrickson, and then produced for Charlie Marlowe and Martin Kilcoin. They absolutely love the guy. And and I think uh, very highly of, of him as well. So I was under the impression that perhaps you guys knew each other from high school, but it's Lindenwood. So I'm obligated, of course, being as provincial as we are in St. Louis, to ask you where you went to high school. I, I truly don't know. I didn't know if you were from somewhere else and then went to Lindenwood, or, but I gather that you are from St. Louis and then went to Lindenwood. Am I correct on that? Well, I'm from the Beagle Mill area, South St. Louis. Uh, are you? So you're from, you're from, we're both South City? How the hell did I know yeah. this? Well, well it's, it's weird because after sixth grade, I went to the old St. John the Baptist Elementary School. That's so, when I, I said I was interviewing now. you, somebody said Amsinger went from St. John the Baptist to New York City, and I said, I didn't know. I said I, that strikes because I was like, I th- for some reason I thought you and Gardner weren't the same high school, and I thought he went in like no. St. Charles County, and I'm like that would strike me as yes. weird if Amsinger went from St. John the Baptist, as I know, as a South City, and I mean St. Gabriel's is like the Huntley of South City in comparison to St. John the Baptist. I mean St. Yes. John the Baptist is hardcore, man. That's legitimate. <laughs> Look at you from yes. St. John the Baptist to Manhattan. That is gangster. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did. I did go to St. Charles County a, a, after that. So uh, I went through sixth grade to St. John's, and then went to public school in St. Charles. It's funny because there have been there have been three interviews in St. Louis since my career. I had some success right in New York, where people brought me back on, and I'm not going to name the broadcasters that did this, but they in their introductions of me, they would say I graduated Linwood University and Duchesne High School. They just assume because I'm. I, they heard that I lived in St. Charles, that I went to Duchenne, a great private school, right? Right. And I had to correct them, like, actually, no, I am a St. Charles high fighting pirate. <laughs> I did go to the school that burned down, and I went to three years of high school in a mobile home park, in trailers. <laughs> 
Look at you. That is where I went to high school. I went to St. Charles High, and I am a proud alum. Art Holiday went to St. Charles High. Art Holiday, of course. Yes, and Greg Amsing went to St. Charles High. I did not. know. Well, for as much as I guess we know of each other, I guess we haven't. Uh, ever really, really cross paths. So for real, this is in a sense a reconnaissance mission uh, because I'm wanting to, uh, to hear this, especially when I when somebody texted in last week about the St. John the Baptist thing. I'm like, I can't imagine. I mean, St. John the Baptist. Uh, yeah. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. What else you got? So this is this is the other part of my upbringing that people don't know. And I'm maybe the most proud of this. So I go, I work every day with uh, researchers. I think we have four researchers that are like Ivy League guys. Okay. So many incredibly intelligent people. I'm not saying I'm dumb. I'm just saying I'm one of seven kids, low middle class family, one of the first people in my family lineage to go to college. I didn't know I was going to go to college. I I thought I was going to work in a factory with my dad when I was a senior in high school. I had no idea. I I spoke in my high school graduation because I thought it'd be funny to do that. I wrote a funny song with my best friend, Joe Searles. And the teacher, as she was going to introduce us, uh, somehow we had to audition. I get to speak. I'm a straight C student. She goes, hey, when I introduce you, I don't know what college you're going to next year. What, what college are you going to go to? I go, uh, I don't know. I, this is 20 minutes before I'm about to oh my, my God. high school graduation speech, Tim. So were you I valedictorian no or were they just asking you to speak? No. They, wanted, they, they had four speeches to give two valedictorians, one other student that was going to the University of Miami in Florida, and there were like a bunch of kids that I had to audition. I had the gift of gab, and I had a great speech teacher. I was uh, in theater after I seriously injured my knee, could play sports my senior year, and he, he said you should try to speak at graduation, like the, you know, the average C student representing the common man in the class of 1997. Nice. So I did that, and my teacher asked me, what college I'm going to? And I go, I haven't given any thought. She's like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, no. She goes, I'm just going to write down that you're attending St. Charles County Community College. I was like, okay. And that's where I went. I went to St. Charles County Community College for a semester. Oh, my God. I had no idea. God. What, I don't know. No one ever talked to me about college. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that's a part of my story that no one really knows in St. Louis. I, I went to a semester. At St. Charles County Community College, SCA. SCA. What a wonderful one. And, and, and Tim, I'm not like, I don't want to bash that school at all. I went there and made something of myself. But it was just something about that first class that I had at St. Charles County Community College. I went to class. I sat down. I looked around the classroom. with some math course. And <laughs> the biggest partiers, I partied my butt off in high school. The, or in college, or high school. The biggest partiers in, in, like, at Francis Howell. Oh, I know that girl from Francis Howell. Oh, I know that guy from Francis Howell. Lewis. Oh, I, I got trash <laughs> with them before Zoom all I'm sitting in a class with the biggest party animals of all the high schools in the area, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I am in this classroom. What does it say about me? What does it say about me? So I I had a girlfriend at the time that went to DCN. She's too younger than me. Her dad was a doctor. And she went, eventually went to SLU and broke up. And she was a straight-A student, really driven. And it, 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 it pulled me up. I was like, I got to get straight A's here. I got to go to a real college. 
And I got great grades and stuff for a semester, and then I ended up going to Lindenwood because of the radio station, and uh, the rest is history. So did you know while you were going to SCA that you wanted to get into broadcasting? Not really. I, I, I didn't think it was a possibility for, quote-unquote, someone like me. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, you, you come from humble beginnings where all of my relatives either work in factories or grocery stores. They all marry the first person they date. I guess it's the way my, you know, very middle-class Midwest family behaved. And I'm, I was one of a litter where no one's really special. You've got seven kids. So individual attention. To think for the stars and the moon and to do some kind of crazy career like that was almost unrealistic. But, you know, when I went to Lindenwood's campus and I met Glenn Cerny, who ran the radio station at one time. I'm sure you've heard his name before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he showed me the radio station, and I walked through, and I go, wait a minute, I get to talk, I could talk into the mic whenever I want. He's like, oh, yeah, we've got morning shows wide open. And this is the summer before, or this is uh, the semester I went there. And all three, uh, Monday through Friday, the, the morning show was open. Kids, Students had to sign up, and it was from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. This is in college, and they were hoping to get you know, maybe get Monday off the books. Take one of the morning shows. I took all five. A little ambition. Oh, you, you're going to let me. I can be on the radio as much as I want. Yeah, by all means. <laughs> no one else wants to do it. I was like, oh my gosh. I became obsessed. And I, would, I lived there. And that's all I wanted to do. And it just kind of, you know, snowballed from there. Was this KCLC? Iggy just held up a sign KCLC. Is that correct? That's right. 89.1 FM, KCLC. There the it connection. is. The best in new adult contemporary. Oh, you Here's still got it. From Kenny G. You still got yeah, it. Still Forget got this MLB it. network thing and come back here and do some 89.1. <laughs> I, got, I like my Casey Kasem impersonation. <laughs> Your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs> so Chops Ritter, who you know from Lindenwood, I gather. Is that fair? Or was that, yes. a, was that a KFNS thing? Because he was working at KFNS or interning at KFNS. He shows me your tape as if I'm some expert. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, this guy's good. I mean, he's legitimately good. Usually when people would send me their stuff again, which is weird because I'm looking back on it, and I'm 23 or 24, and I'm like, you know, giving opinion on, on talent. Um, usually when they would send it, it would be awkward because I'd go, God, I already know as you probably know in this business, within five seconds, whoever's doing the hiring knows within five seconds whether or not they're going to be interested in hiring the person. Um, right. And I know within five seconds that this person has no chance in this business, uh, which is unfortunate, but it's also real. And so you have to navigate being kind, but also not being dishonest and saying, yeah, keep grinding. You might you might get to New York or L.A. <laughs> so, but you're doing television. Where were you doing television? Television at Lindenwood, I gather, right? I started um, kind of the whole live TV. It wasn't live, but uh, the television department at Linwood, there was a newscast that they did uh-huh. that really wasn't great. <laughs> but I wanted to do a, a sports show. <clears throat> so I got eight students together, and there was no class credit. No one made any money. And we did a once-a-week, hour-long sports show. Not about the Cardinals and the Blues and the Rams, no. We talked about Lindenwood sports and local high school sports. Wow. And I couldn't fill an hour on that now, much less when I'm 21 or whatever you are. Tim, it was awesome. It was awesome. I produced it. I I wrote it. I booked it. I hosted it. 
I recruited kids to come do it. And I did this for three years, my sophomore, junior, and senior year. By the time I left, we probably had 30 or 40 students working on the show. Oh, my God. It was legit. Yeah, it was legit. And I got it aired on local cable access in St. Louis County and in St. Charles County. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was me and my director, uh, Matt Bretz, a guy that eventually went and worked at ESPN. I found a guy that was techie and, and liked to be in the control room and kind of made my brother Rich. Listen to this story. My brother Rich is two years younger than me. And at the time, he's a senior in high school. He eventually went and played college football at Linwood. He's a senior at St. Charles High. He came in, and we took a classroom. We were allowed to take one classroom and make a TV studio out of it that wasn't being used. My brother Rich is an artist. He's always been a talented artist. He designs the, the set, the multiple sets, actually. He designs it. He helps my director work on lighting. My brother Rich is the creative director of SNY, the regional sports network that airs New York Mets games. He just got his MBA from Columbia University, like, six months ago. People talk about Greg Amsinger being successful. My brother Rich Amsinger is ridiculous, right? That's amazing. He designed the whole look of the Mets network. Any animation you see, he runs the whole creative department. So, And he started by designing my set for LU Sportscope. And now when you go to Linenwood, they have HD studios everywhere. They've got multiple uh, studios with robotic cameras. They got a whole sports network, basically, they have. It's a ridiculous uh, monster that it's become. But, yeah, my crazy, out-of-this-world thinking started something pretty big, I guess. Boy, that is, I had no idea. Well, Lindenwood now is considered to be a great place to go if you want to get into broadcasting, which I think is in part a credit to... Uh, of course, the school for emphasizing it, but a number of incredible broadcasters, both locally and now, in your case, nationally, uh, came out of Lindenwood. Um, I mean, the, the alumni roster is is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Randy Carricker, to me, is, he, he's, my, he's my broadcast big brother, man. I that guy. Uh, yeah, I went back to St. Louis not too long ago, made a point to hang out with him. We played golf. Uh, you know, I talked to him regularly. He's just a great man, a great mentor. And the thing that I learned from him was how to treat people. Mm-hmm. And he's just, to me, he's such a nice guy. He makes me feel like a bad person. And I say that, <laughs> <laughs> I say that uh, kindly. You know, I, I, I want to be half as nice as Randy Character is. He's, just so, he's, he's first class. And um, Yeah, I don't know if you'll find anybody who would say a bad thing about Randy Character. No. No, and you'll find hundreds and hundreds of people that say a bad thing about Greg. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be right there with you. We would have a contest on that. Uh, so, so you, so you're in Lindenwood now. We all know in this business, and for the people listening, I recognize you don't know, but the key is that first job. Um, and you know, and I don't know if you were still on VHS tape getting the first job, or if it had moved on for you. I was sending out VHS tape. VHS. You were, yeah, you were VHS. VHS. So you get Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, which I would imagine is a three-digit market, if my yep. market guessing is correct. And you go there, and what, what year do you start there? I started in 2001, right out of college. Okay. Graduated in 2001. What do you like, sports um, director or the weekend anchor? What do you got going on? I was a weekday news reporter, weekend news anchor. Oh, so you were so straight that news. That makes no sense. Right. Here's what. So if you're an attractive woman, that 
time, if you remember, Tim, the, uh, local sports, they wanted women anchoring sports. They wanted women reporting Absolutely. sports. And they still do, but it was really a, a, a common theme across the industry. Yep, you know? 100% true. Um, so I decided to go against the grain there and go, okay, so if there are a bunch of tall white dudes with dark hair that want to do sports, you know, at that, that and you, like you said, and, five, and some short white kids. dudes actually with dark hair right. who are doing it as well. Think about <laughs> it. it. It's a, a bunch of dudes that, that five seconds, uh, another one of those, they pull it out. Unfortunately, it is that superficial. So I decided just to get my first gig being, you know, a, a, an athletic looking guy. Maybe I'll do news. Maybe that'll help me get in the door. And I aggressively, while I love sports, and that was what I eventually wanted to do, I thought the best shot of me coming out of Lindenwood, which, you know, as strong as the program is locally, nationally, as you're trying to get local TV gigs all over the country, it's not a recognized name. It is now, but not at the time. Right, right. So I was the underdog. I'm competing against guys from Syracuse and Northwestern and all these other great programs. So I had to drive hard for news. And I got two offers, one in Rockford, Illinois, and the other one in Terre Haute, Indiana. The reason I chose Terre Haute, Indiana, was because it was the, the news director was a woman that hated sports. You're thinking, okay, why would you pick that? Well, I wanted her to see me present news. I wanted her to like the way I presented news. And then after about six months, go, hey, I know you really want to get rid of sports. Before you do that, how about you take a newsy guy like me and put me in the sports chair and let's just see how that works out. Wow. So you, you had a whole strategy for this at what? 23 years old. Oh, strategy. Let me tell you about strategy. Thanks to you, Glenn Cerny, my professor at the time, he gave me an idea on spring break, senior year, when everyone else is going to Cancun, having a great time. I set up an entire week. How did I get these two jobs? Not just by sending tapes out, for an entire week, I drove by myself. I went market to market to market to market with, and I set these up, informational interviews for a class. Complete lie. I would call the news director at a local TV station and go, hi, my name's Greg Anderson. I'm taking a class. I'm senior at Linderwood. I have to interview someone that is having success in a television market that I would eventually like to start my career in. Would, do you mind if I would ask you a few questions about yourself uh, in three weeks from now? I will drive. Oh, yeah, I'll be in Rockford, Illinois. Absolutely. There's one thing, and you can tell by this podcast right now that you're listening to, people in this business love talking about themselves. Absolutely. And I got in every room with every news director. I met, I think, with over the course of a week, two nights I slept in my car because I ran out of money. I had the same suit on. I, I kept throwing cold, uh, cold water or cool water, cologne. Absolutely. It was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was sleeping in my car going from market to market to market just to meet these people. I probably met with 16 news directors. I had 10 of them tell me that I'll never be on the air because they caught wind of what I was doing. I was trying to get a job. Here, take a look at my demo tape. It really wasn't for a class. Oh, and they got, got pissed off? They got pissed off that you oh, banged yeah. switch? Oh, really? Oh. oh, yeah. One guy was like, your voice is terrible. I hate the wrinkles on your forehead. You'll never be on TV. No way! I got beat up. I got beat up, and I just kept walking out smiling off to the next destination, and I got two out of 16 meetings. I got two job offers. Two. What in the? I am. I have to tell you, I'm stuck because you're telling me this story. I'm thinking it's genius, number one, and it shows an incredible amount of initiative and ambition, which are intangibles you can't teach. I think it's brilliant. I'm surprised that pissed Thank him you. off. I really am. I'm legitimately surprised. Yeah, it's like 
Is he really going to beat down a young dude that's just trying to... Right, you know, and driving around on your break? own dollar? Hey, look, at the end of the day, the piece that I have is that dude, that news director, has seen me on TV at some point. <laughs> in New York. And see me on TV, and that's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. <laughs> so you get Terre Haute. How long are you in Terre Haute? Two years. And uh, our baby was born there. The news director pulls me aside in Terre Haute and goes, Greg, I'm going to make you an offer. We want you to, I'm the sports director at the time. He goes, we want you to uh, eventually be the news anchor. I want to I make you a wealthy man. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. God. I oh, can't even imagine no, what's what? coming next. I can't even imagine what's coming next. Because if you were outside of the no. teens, I would guess mid-20s, if I know the market, I would guess mid-market, maybe they're going to throw something with a three, or if it was a big month, maybe a four. Maybe. Yeah, so so I started making eighteen grand a year with no health benefits. Yep. I got moved to sports director. I'm making twenty one grand with benefits. Yep. I was twenty two in Little Rock. Off, That's where I was. Yep. The offer that they gave me was up to twenty five five. And that he thought was a, a raise that would make me go. So he legitimately said I'm up. going to make you a wealthy man. That actually was that actually was prefaced in that fashion. What 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 he meant was Take this deal now, and eventually you'll be the news director. Well, the guy that was the news director, or the, the I'm sorry, not news director, the news anchor, right. the main news anchor in prime time, that guy retired like five years ago. Oh, so you've been <laughs> grinding it for a decade. Oh, God. Ah, God, this so business. I, I was like, no, thank you. I, I'm good. And he, he thought, you know, you have a baby. You're, my, I mean, my wife at the time was making 16000 as a news reporter. Right, no money, and uh, I remember one direct deposit, and I went to the ATM to see how much we had in our um, in our checking account. And this is after both of our uh, checks directly went into our account, and it said negative ten dollars and thirty two cents. God, so a lot of ramen noodles, a lot of Taco Bell. Uh, and a lot of spaghetti in Terrell, Indiana. Uh, so, so what was the next play? What was the where was the next play? Because I've always wondered well, how I you mean, went from like Lindenwood to New York City, and and doing and I truly don't know. So I'm this like I said, it's an interview, but it's an interview which I'm I'm learning as well. So I'm curious how it went know, from two years in Terre Haute. There had to be a bridge in there. I, I'm so glad you're doing this interview with me because I've I've been asked so many different parts of my story. And it takes a while to. Uh, it's kind of crazy how it all happens. Yeah, so, man. I mean, it know, really is. And there's some. Gr- there, there's also because we. I'm sure you get it a hell of a lot now more than more than I do because I'm doing my little pervert radio show in St. Louis and you're doing television in New York across the world. But but we get people who are aspiring broadcasters asking questions. And I've always kind of instructed regarding ambition and treating. You mentioned Randy Carricker and treating people well. Um, you know, treating yeah. people like you want to be treated. That's so important because people remember that when they're hiring, but also it's just the right thing to do in general. But uh, but your story of like what you did during spring break, I think that's, I still think it's brilliant. I'm not going to base it on the result of 14 of 16 not liking it. I still think that was the right thing to do because you stand out from the crowd and you put yourself in front of people. That's the right thing to do. But there's all, but we also uh, know both of us are lottery ticket winners. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's so tough just to get the first job, there's a bunch of people in Columbia, Missouri right now still trying to get that first job in South Dakota. They'd cut their left hand well, off to go work for 12 grand. You know why, Tim, you know why? Because the one part we're not talking about is are you good? 
Yeah. Well, then, then, <laughs> then, it can, then it can then 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 it can come off the wrong way. <laughs> it does, and that's the part that's like no one wants to talk about that. That's harsh. Like, oh, you're being rude, Greg. But wait a minute. No, I mean the reason why I got good was because I spent Monday through Friday doing three hours of a morning show playing new adult contemporary music at the age of nineteen. Yeah. You know, like any chance I had. To, instead of partying, I was working on the college TV show that I started. I wanted reps. I wanted to keep working at it, keep getting better. And I wanted to go to a market. I, I didn't you know, to stay in St. Louis and hope to get a break. You know, I, there's a reason why you went to Little Rock. I, there's a reason I went to Terre Haute. I'm probably going to suck. So I want to go somewhere that I'm not going to go buy a vacation home in and go suck there. <laughs> so those people will never see me again. Yeah, you it's true. By the way, I've run into people from uh, Terre Haute? my career that have, from Terre Haute that are like so stoked to see me again. But um, no, so I almost went to Louisville, right? So I accepted. So from Terre Haute to Louisville, which is Market Fifty. Okay, a huge jump. Market One Forty Six to Market Fifty, and we, my my wife at the time, we went and go. We were looking at apartments. She started talking to the news director about maybe being a news reporter at one of the TV stations there, and I was stoked. Louisville is such a cool town. And then out of nowhere, I get a phone call from a talent coordinator for, from a startup network in New York. And I'm like, how in the hell did you get my number? I'm yeah. 22 years old. Why, why? Well, I had a local Friday night football show that in Terre Haute, was off the charts. Won some local awards, and I had this senile old coach named Wayne Staley, a coaching legend. He'd wear high, high shorts, short, short shorts, with two <laughs> socks if it was like 10 degrees below zero. And this guy, I made him my co-host for the Friday Night Football Show. We, the two of us, off the charts for him, right? So there were two agents having drinks in Bloomington, Indiana, and our market in Terre Haute bled into Bloomington, where the campus of Indiana University is, close mm-hmm. to Indianapolis. And these guys are in a bar, and this bartender is watching TV. It's in the bar, and he goes, hey, guys, listen, watch this high school football show. It's hilarious. Turns it up. Okay? And there are these two agents watching that represented Midwest talent. And CSTV of Television recruited uh, a couple of their clients, and they were like, yo, our guys are in the middle of the contract. Uh, there are a couple of reasons why they couldn't do it. And they both separately – told the same talent coordinator, check out this kid in Terre Haute. They didn't, they didn't even know who I was. There was a kid in Terre Haute. He looked for the CBS in Terre Haute. We, we saw him at the bar one night. Funny kid. Check him out. I get, I get a random phone call from Gideon Cohen, who now, believe it or not, is my agent. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. And he was sitting at a bar in Bloomington, you say? Yeah, they're sitting at a bar in Bloomington. These two guys I've never met, two agents I've never met. And they get calls from this talent coordinator named Gideon Cohen. Hey, you know, I'm interested in your client. We're going to start a brand-new college sports network here in New York City. And they, those agents had to say, our clients are in the middle of contracts. It's not going to happen. So they both said, check out this kid in Terre Haute. That's why when I tell all these young broadcasters, every time you're in front of a camera, it has to be your best show. Yeah. You've got to bring it every – you have no idea who's watching. And I get a phone call. I fly out to New York City to audition. And my co-host, I'm told when I go out there, uh, I went out the weekend that Roger Clemens won his, his 300th game, and he was against Cardinals. Yes, that? indeed. Yep, Roger yep, yep. Clemens won his, uh, That's when I was in New York. And they find me out. I'm so nervous, so stoked. My co-host is Amber Theo Harris, who's now a star on NFL Network. 
And she's really young, 23, 24, and they go, we're building the whole network around her. We're looking for a guy that can work with her. And I was like, okay, cool. Now, you know me. I'm the underdog. I, I came from Lindenwood. I went to St. Charles County Community College. I didn't know I was going to go to college. <laughs> I, I, I've always felt like I don't belong, right? Right. So I didn't think I had a chance in hell of getting this job. And they had a bunch of dudes that were going to be doing 30-minute shows. My, my college baseball analyst was Jim Laritz that weekend. Oh, okay. nice. We had crazy. Yeah. 96 World Series so hero I, in New York. How do I stand out? Yeah, right. So how do I stand out from the crowd, Tim? I didn't write a script didn't write anything. This is studio TV. I'm talking about volleyball. I'm talking college volleyball, college wrestling, lacrosse. Like this is their show. Their format is all about college sports. I was, I didn't sleep on the plane. I'm grinding. I I printed off a bunch of stuff. I'm trying to read as much as I can about all the college sports. I was like, I can't, I can't write anything. If I write anything, I'm just going to be like everybody else. I ad-libbed for a whole weekend on a soft launch on a national network and killed it. I killed it. The problem was me ad-libbing made Amber Theo Harris really uncomfortable. <laughs> she had no idea where I was going next. And she struggled that weekend. She ended up not getting a job. Uh, it went to a guy named Adam Zucker, who's now the star CBS. on CBS. Yep. And the crop of talent that they launched that network with, unreal. So it's me and Zucker with Michelle Beadle. And Catherine Tappan, who's now at NBC. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, that, that's the group. How about so, that group? I had no idea about <laughs> any of this stuff. Yes, yes. So I did that for five and a half years. Oh, my CSTV. God. So it's CSTV. That's where you are in New York City. Yes, College Sports Television. And then CBS eventually bought it. They renamed it CBS Sports Network. Right. The guy that renamed it was the executive producer, Tony Petiti. After he renamed it, they let go of a lot of people. Um, he kept me on. He left to go be the uh, CEO of MLB Network, and he took me with him. Wow. He took me with him. He knew that I uh, I was a marathon broadcaster. He would watch me do live looking through college basketball games during the NCAA tournament for seven hours. Every two hours, I would bring in different analysts. And I loved it. And that's a little different than doing, you know, Yankees, Red Sox live sure. looking. Sure, for sure. Like Postra against NC State. <laughs> you know, you got to know everybody. So he saw me do that and knew I was from St. Louis and I love baseball. And he took me with him. And the rest is history. I've been there since 2009. God, man. I mean, the, the, the Terre Haute to New York jump has probably not been done too many times. I would guess not. And the weird thing is, I struggled at first i was there for five and a half years after two years i signed a three-year deal uh, they had an option after the second year they told me it's not working out and i i just i wasn't myself uh, adam zucker went to newhouse went to syracuse he was so good and a great writer so i fell into this trap where i got away from myself and i was trying to outwit him that's why i can't stand watching sports center you have two two anchors they're trying to hey welcome to sports center by the end of the hour you tell us which anchor did a better job <laughs> I can't stand that and that's that was the trap i fell into with him and he's really good i just couldn't i didn't feel like it was who i was i i, I wasn't that great at it and they said we're going to part ways you have two months uh, and then you, you know you're not gonna work here anymore and i just was devastated oh yeah so so I just decided, you know what? And I, I have to give my ex-wife credit on this. She said, look, if you're going to go down, you might as well try to 
be a broadcaster for the next two months that you want to be at your next net, at your next job. So that's gonna someone's gonna hire you based on how you're performing, you know, in the last two months. So I was like, yeah, I, I need to get back to ad living. Who told who told who told you to do that? Who told you to do that, Greg? My ex, my ex wife, my okay. wife at the time. So I decided to do that, and they thought I was mailing it in because I I would show up and just chill and talk to everybody. I didn't write one script, and out of nowhere, Greg Amstring is back. I'm killing it. Hilarious. Uh, the shows are off the charts. Um, I remember it was his first time on a national network. They brought him in to do the College World Series. And this is, I thought, what was going to be one of my last 10 shows. Ron Darling, who I work with now. Yeah. And he came in and was like, he pulled me aside. He's like, yo, you're really good. You're really good. And he kept talking about how great this kid damn singer was. And all of a sudden, I went from two months left looking for other jobs to, you know what, we, we're reconsidering. We're going to start a new show called The One College Sports Show where you're on a couch. We're going to put Michelle Beadle with you. You two will be the main anchors of this show. You'll wear jeans, cool shirts. It's going to be like the Kelly and Regis of college sports. It changed everything. And that's why, to this day, I don't read anything. I, I ad-lib on, on TV, on national <laughs> television. It's, it's more natural for me. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Greg Amsinger of the MLB Network here on the Tim McKernan Show. And I always want to make sure I point out that without our sponsors, we wouldn't have a show. For real. If, if, that, if you ever wonder what happened to the podcast, that's what happened to the podcast. I'm telling you right now. And, when, and if and when the podcast goes away, I'll say, well, we didn't make enough money. Can't do the podcast anymore. Very proud of the work that we did. God bless America. Thank you very much. It's about supporting the sponsors. So if you enjoy the podcast, this is the way to support the podcast. Maybe we'll come up with other ways for you to support the podcast at some point. But right now, it's about supporting the sponsors. And James Carlton was on board from the very beginning. God bless him. His number is 314-961-4800. Or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net to just see how inexpensive it is to protect your family through term life insurance. Although the worst is unlikely, none of us would leave the driveway without strapping our little tykes into a car seat. Life insurance is no different. Although it's not likely that you don't make it home tonight, it's not a risk worth taking when it comes to providing for your loved ones. State Farm is the number one provider of term life insurance in the U.S. Call James Carlton at 314-961-4800 or reply online at carltoninsurance.net. I'm telling you this, First off, I, I, if, if I were listening to this, I'd go, yeah, it'd be a whole thing. And I'm not interested in the whole thing. I'm busy enough as it is. And I don't want to fill out paperwork. That's fine. I don't blame you. So that's one of the things James and I have discussed. They do all the paperwork for you. Yeah, you're going to have to sign things. But as far as organizing and making your switch, they do it for you. Secondarily, the thing I absolutely, from a personal experience standpoint, love about James Carlton and the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is the customer service. I can tell you, I've had some bad experiences. And it tilts me. It's it's like it's a few things at this point tilt me. Bad customer service, I tilt. So when I run into people like James Carlton, as an example, and everybody who's sponsoring this podcast, as a matter of fact, and I know that they all practice incredible customer service, it's easy for me to go on and on and talk about them. And that's what I would recommend them to you. 314-961-4800 to go online at carltoninsurance.net. When you see the reviews on Google and on Facebook about James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, you'll understand it why they are so good, why that business is growing, why James's business is growing. Call him today. Experience the difference. 314-961-4800 or apply online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. 
I, I, so many, so many questions. And I want to make sure I ask out of what you just said. So I believe, and I could be wrong on this. And you know what? I did a show with Jim Edmonds for, we did about a year, I think. And he actually said, and his father-in-law, who's my company's attorney, said that him doing radio actually made him better for his Cardinal telecasts and also when he did his Cardinal Hall of Fame acceptance speech because it made him comfortable ad-libbing, improving, whatever the case might be. So I have a feeling, and I don't know if you would trace it back subliminally or otherwise, that your radio that you did at Lindenwood really helped your television. I found that doing radio, which was more of just an internship, once I started doing radio at KMOV, I felt like I became a better anchor and live reporter because obviously when you're doing radio, you're doing ad-libbing. And I feel like a lot of people in television don't usually have much radio experience. And so the ad-libbing thing that's so easy for some, such as yourself, is not something that is a strong suit and can kind of freak out those who aren't used to doing it. Do you think there is something to that? Absolutely. 100%. I would tell any young broadcaster, if you want to be on television, go do radio. Yeah. There are layers There are layers to broadcasting. And one layer that is commonly overlooked in television is entertaining with your voice. So many young people that just want to be on television don't understand there are ways to, under, to entertain with your vocal cords. There are moments when you speed things up. There are moments when you slow things down. You want your vocal performance to be predictably unpredictable. Mm-hmm. There's an entertainment value in that. There are certain people that understand the power of smiling, not on camera, but audibly. Yes. Well done, sir. That's greatest, exactly right, the greatest man. greatest voice. You know what I'm saying? Harold Reynolds has a smile in his voice. When you don't see his face, and we're doing a live look-in, and bases loaded, Bush Stadium, and Harold's talking, you can hear that he's smiling. And, and that adds to his likability. That comes with broad, that he Look, he didn't, he's not a talking head like us. He wasn't you know, grinding with internships. He's a former professional, professional athlete, but it's a God-given talent that he has. It's something that you can work on, though, via radio. The other thing radio does is it takes the moments where the bells and whistles of television, when they inevitably fall apart, because this will happen when you start your career on local TV, where a tape doesn't roll or, you know, um, the studio has a malfunction, the control room freaks out, they pop you on camera. You want to be the broadcaster that says, when all hell breaks loose, just put me on camera. Yeah, yeah. Put, yep. put me on. Yep. And that doesn't happen if you're not on the radio first. I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more on this. I really couldn't. I think it's so helpful. And I had no idea of your your love for ad-libbing, but I th- I found that that was the case, and I didn't know it. I was just doing radio just to make some extra money, but I found that to be the case, and I think that there's something to be said for that. Plus, you come off more conversational because you're talking conversationally on the radio. No doubt. You know? And in television, part, it's a no-lose situation for you, being the TV anchor or the broadcaster or the reporter. It's a expect you to be, you know, uh, you know, heightened and maybe mess up or stumble. So since and they're going to feel bad that they put you in that position. Those are the moments you want. Yeah. And now all you can do is save the day. If you if you do stumble, if it is awkward television, if it is bad, everyone in the control room or everyone in the, in the television truck, they're going to come out and apologize. Yeah. So all you can do is you can you can save the day. You can be the hero. And those are the moments that I wanted. I wanted the moments where all hell breaks. Just put me on camera. I'm good. 
and then I could just take it, and everyone in the control was like, whoa, this amp's singing. He's so easy with it. The other thing about ad-libbing that is it's so important to remember, when you have a rundown in television and everything's planned, um, producers, they thirst for flexibility. And if you're scripted and everything is in the teleprompter, they can't just flip-flop things yeah. because this interview went long or this tape isn't ready. They can't just flip-flop things because these people that write scripts all the time, and there's so many great broadcasters that do, they want everything to flow together. So the three scripts at the beginning of the segment really relate to the three scripts at the end of the segment. And now if you, if you, don't, if you kill those first three segments because your interview went long in the previous segment, those three scripts don't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. So the flexibility isn't there. And that's why I became a broadcaster that tried to really be the broadcaster for the producers. Whatever you need me to do, I'll follow you. I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. I, I, flexibility. I had no idea that you worked with the people that you worked with at what was CSTV became CBS Sports Network. So you and Michelle Beadle became co-hosts, it sounds like? Yeah. I yeah. had no idea. Once again, yeah. I had no idea. The, the two most talented people I've ever worked with. Ever on the air? Who you Harold got? Who, uh, natural people want to ask who the other one? You said Harold Reynolds, Her, Harold Reynolds, and Michelle Beadle, and and then it's everybody else. And no offense to everybody else, um, I've worked with so many talented people, but those two are just next level. Like it's 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 like going to the Hall of Fame. There are a lot of Hall of Fame baseball players, and they're all amazing, amazing baseball players. But then there's Hank Aaron, yeah, and Willie Mays. There's like a if the Hall of Fame was a bar, the top shelf, all the liquor's there. Yeah, Jose Cuervo, I can get drunk off Jose Cuervo. <laughs> it's that top shelf tequila, that's special. And that's the way I look at the people I've worked with. They're all great in their own right, and I've had great times with them. But Harold Reynolds and Michelle Beadle are just top shelf. That's uh, so good to hear. I, 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 I watched her on Get Up, and I'm like, God, I feel badly for her because I can tell that she's in a spot where she's kind of like stuck and it was a big deal and a big rollout and I'm like oh she's so good but she's playing out of position it, it, so to speak. It wasn't speak. the format for her. Yeah right it right exactly. The format for her. You know so no, Sports Nation was the format for her. That's where she was at her absolute yes. uh, best. You stay in touch with uh, with her and with Adam Zucker and the crew from that? You know I stay in touch with, with, with uh, Adam Zucker. Uh, Beetle is just such a star. Uh, she's got such a, an awesome crazy like single life. She flies all over the place, and you know when you have kids. The thing was, when I worked there, her and my ex-wife were really close. They oh yeah, ski trips together. Oh yeah, they became very good friends. But um, I haven't really kept in touch with her. I watch her from afar. Very impressed with her work always. Um, but the whole NFL comments, by knowing Michelle, I think that she made those comments almost in a way like, I don't like these gigs. Send me back to LA. Which I like more than New York. And let me talk about hoops because that's where she that really gets her going. So here's something that I, I want to dig into, and I'm anxious to to have this discussion as it's certainly been broadcast centric. Uh, and and I'm curious on this. When I was at the University of Missouri, all I wanted to, and I remember the gentleman who was, I guess, in charge of the the sports casting sequence of the broadcast sequence of the journalism school, saying, and he kind of said it as a joke. He goes, we all worry about you because we think you can do this or that, but all you want to do is work in St. Louis. And that was truly what I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was work in St. Louis. And I set the goal of, I want to get to St. Louis by the time I'm 30. And obviously I was, you know, I was young for my class. I guess I was 20, 21 when I was doing this stuff. And so I get to St. Louis by the time I'm 23 and I was thrilled. Um, 
I guess if I could go back in time, although I'm thrilled with what I've been able to do and I'm able to do every every morning, um, I when my contract was up and then I was renewed at KMOV in 2003, I guess this would have been, I would have been uh, with an agent. Uh, I had a guy who was trying to sign me, uh, and I would have just been exploring what was out there, and I'm sure I would have wound up at least considering some other opportunities. But I was so happy because I was in my hometown doing what I wanted to do. I was only 24, 25, 26 years old and flying all over the place. Single is great. And I was making money doing radio. And I just, my bar was that. And I had reached my bar. My sense is based on what you are telling me, even though we were both in St. Louis at relatively the same time, that you weren't looking to just work in St. Louis. You had designs on bigger things. Is that a correct assessment of what your mindset was when you were getting ready to leave Lindenwood? Well, I wanted to work in St. Louis. That was the number one goal. I, I didn't think that would ever be a possibility for me. I, it's, it's, I come off as cocky, huge ego, cares about his TV hair, which I do. And <laughs> I, I, I have to have a lot of confidence for what I do for a living. Um, but because of my humble beginnings, I just never thought that I would be perceived in that way to be on television in St. Louis. I always thought that if I was on TV, when I got the job in Terre Haute, Tim, no joke. The fact that I st- when I started doing sports, I was like, I had tears I was like, I'm doing sports on television for a living. I didn't care that I was making and I was so happy. I didn't think that any other bigger woman. I really didn't. I knew I was good in that market. I knew that people liked me there. But I just always had this, I'm an underdog. Um, I didn't go to a school that is a powerhouse, uh, wasn't a good student, um, really didn't get my act together until late. There's no chance anybody's going to want that. It led to this carefree blase. I'm playing with house money delivery. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, I'm not reserving anyway. Uh, very much an open book because I'm expecting it to close. <laughs> <Any second. laughs> so I, I, I just never thought I'd be good enough to work in St. Louis. And all of a sudden Louisville wanted me. I was like, wow, that's market 50. That's getting closer to St. Louis. Yeah. So maybe someday, if I if I really kick ass there, maybe St. Louis will want me. And then all of a sudden, New York comes. I'm like, well, I didn't expect this at all. <laughs> so part of me went there and ad-libbed in a way of like, I don't even know if I want this lifestyle. I don't know if I want to you know live in New York City. I'm a Midwest kid. I don't know if I want to, all the nerves that will come with this. This is a huge network rollout. I don't even know if I want it. So I'm just going to wing it. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to laugh and have fun. And see if that works. And if it does, then maybe that's what I'll do. And it worked. And I got off track, got back on it, and I've never stopped having fun. It is my social life is being on television. Oh, I love to it hear really that. It really is. That's so interesting. So, you, so you mentioned, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you're aware of this or if you're not. I mean, I don't know why you would be aware of it, but maybe you would be. So Producer Joe, I don't know if you know Producer Joe. Producer Joe knows you, our old producer on, yeah. on, the, on the radio show. 
Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so we were doing our show from spring training, and I guess you guys were down there. I don't believe you and I talked. I don't believe I saw you, but uh, producer Joe comes up and he goes, hey, I just saw Greg Amsinger. They're down here doing their thing. And Amsinger, he paid you a great compliment. And I said, what's that? He said, is that Tim? I'm surprised he's still doing this in St. Louis. In other words... If this story's true, obviously you and I haven't talked about it. It is. I remember, okay, the, I remember, remember the conversation vividly, yeah. Right, which is, I believe, to say you thought I would be able to or could do something outside of St. Louis. If, they, if my interpretation yeah. of a secondhand story is is correct. Well, this is this is why I said it. I didn't just say it because you know, I'm familiar with the show. I And you know this because you guys book guests. When you have one of these niche expert roles as, as a host of a baseball network, you have people during baseball season all over the country that don't book you on a radio show. So I, I do anywhere from three to ten radio hits a week. And some of them are paid, reoccurring. And after doing your show a couple times, I mean, I'm kind of well-versed on national radio, like local radio across the country. You know, like who's good, who's not, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I've, I've been doing a lot of radio shows over the years now. And I think Tim is national level good. I was like, I'm actually surprised no one has tried to pull him away from St. Louis. That that was exact that's the quote. Well you're a gentleman you're a gentleman for saying that. So here is here is why I bring that I obviously I appreciate it. It's an it's a it's a great compliment. The reason I bring it up is this and you happen to mention the station. So I gather you don't know that uh, I guess now eleven years ago and it's similar to you and that you went up to there for I guess your audition and you're kinda like screw it, I'm just going to do what I do and I'm going to ad-lib and, and it wound and, and then you wound up killing it and getting the job. I was given an opportunity to audition for uh, Steve Berthium's job at SNY when he left to go back to ESPN. And I think, he, well, he's on the Diamondbacks games now, right? I think. Yes, he is. Yes. Okay. So this is 2007. Uh, my agent uh, gets it gets me an audition there with, with Kurt Gowdy Jr. at SNY. And I, if somebody told me, and I don't know who, actually now I think I do know, and I think we both know him, but I probably shouldn't say his name, told me what it was, what he thought it was going to pay, and I'm like, oh my God, for that in New York City? Like, I thought it was going to be like possibly three or four times that? Well, now I don't want the job, but Joe Buck had talked to Kurt on my behalf, and I'm already up here, so... I can't like go, well, I'm not going to do it. So I'll go ahead and go through with the audition, but I know I'm not going to take it even if I get it. And so at that point I have zero pressure on me. I remember walking out to the set, same thing as your South city ass was thinking with your audition. (laughs) I was thinking, which was, I can't believe I'm here walking out onto that set on SNY, which, you know, is out on what sixth Avenue with radio city music all over your shoulder. Uh, And I just go through the audition. I take out my IFB and I'm like, yeah, I know I killed it. And I'm probably going to get an offer to my surprise. I do get the offer, but the money is more than I had been told it was going to be. And then at that point I did take the job. But then two weeks later, after going up there and looking for places, I was just like, God, I know what I want to do. And I just don't really like, I was ad-libbing over like at the time, the New Jersey Nets highlights and Jets players. I didn't recognize, you know, just like their camps. And I'm going, I just don't want to do this. And I feel like it puts me on a road to sports center, not to say I could ever get it, but I felt like that was the road. And I just didn't feel like that's what I wanted to do. And so in the weirdest career decision, I think that, that you could think of, I chose like a 500 watt AM radio station in St. Louis over television in New York City. And I, wow. 
all. Yeah, okay, so you didn't know that. <laughs> no, I did not know the story. This is unbelievable. So I call my agent, uh, and I said, because I had turned down, uh, I got a job to do a Fox Sports Baseball Across America in Denver the year before, and I had been hired for that, but I never accepted that one. And he was really pissy that I didn't, I don't want to say pissy because that makes it sound like I'm negative toward him. He was disappointed that I didn't take that one. But this is New York. And a year later, he gets me the opportunity. I get the job. Obviously, there's going to be a nice, you know, hit for him on it. And I accept this one. And I call him. And as you can imagine, he's not pleased. He goes, I should have never taken you back after you turned down Denver. My wife was right. You're never going to leave St. Louis. You're never going to leave St. Louis. And he goes, you're calling Kurt. I'm not calling Kurt, as in Kurt Gowdy. And I'm like, I'll call him. I'll call him. And Kurt was incredibly cool. I'm sure he was beyond confused. Uh, but he said, is there any chance I can talk to you and your wife and try to explain why I think you really need to do this? And so I said, absolutely. So a few hours later, my wife got home from work. We did a, you know, the three of us on a call. And he said, sometimes you have to sacrifice to get to where you want to be. And I'm thinking to myself at that time I was 30 and I'm like, I kind of already have what I like. And so I don't know why I would quote unquote sacrifice. And we're talking money, uh, to go do something that I don't really want to do, even though everybody in the world would tell me, you go do it. You don't even think twice. And plus it was a two-year contract. So if I didn't like it or if it didn't work out, you can always come back here. But in the moment, for my money, that was the right play. And it's a weird thing because it's a defining moment. But you you made the move, obviously different circumstances, but still, uh, you know, it's it's this thing that because it was so weird to choose AM radio in St. Louis over television in New York, that it's a, you know, it's something that you can't help but always look back and go, I wonder about and, what would have been, you know, even though I love doing what I do and I'm fortunate to have a nice situation here. Well, it's, it's there's so many similarities to what you experienced. I also experienced something like that three years ago. I will say this, at the time, you didn't have any children, right? 30 years old, no kids. That's right. Okay, so I had a little baby, and while well, I was 24, with a tiny little baby, changes your motivation. It really isn't about me. It's about, okay, I'm a provider now, and I felt this need to try to make the most money possible. Couldn't agree with you more on this. Now that I have a one-year-old, right? I know exactly what you're saying. Totally different mindset. It kind of changes the carrot. It's a, it, The carrot... I'm chasing. Usually, I chase a carrot I couldn't wait to bite the hell out of. Now I'm chasing a carrot that I'm going to grab and give it to my kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like a different kind yeah. of yeah, yeah, uh, yep, yep. you know, philosophy. So I three years ago had the hardest, most difficult negotiation ever, and MLB Network was furious with me because I verbally agreed. I don't even know if it's, they're happy if I talk about this, but I verbally agreed to be the solo anchor of the show that is now called Get Up on ESPN. No way. Hold on a second. What is this? What in the world? (laughs) Yes. Yes, They were going to give me my own morning show. Richard Dice is going to be listening to this and transcribing this exchange. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going to, I was going to be the anchor of this show. And um, it's, it's amazing because Robert Flores was already uh, with Jay Harris during those hours. They did like a soft, more new sports center in the morning mm-hmm. kind of launch. And he got wind. There were so many people that were working on that show because they knew this huge rollout, brand new ESPN morning show was coming. They all knew it was coming. 
and they were all hoping that they would be the broadcaster. And Robert Flores is very candid about this. They all found out that I was going to be the guy that was going to do, host the show. And this is a rarity for ESPN. They never, they always promote from within. They make, they make their own stars. They never go hire someone from some other network and then give them a huge property like this. So they were going to pull me away from MLB Network, pay me a, a great amount of money. And my, I had to sell my wife at the time, my kids on board. We looked at houses. We picked out a house in Westport, Connecticut. It was a done deal. So this, was, this would have been, you would have been moving to Bristol then? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was going to be in Connecticut. And network, I was essentially going to be what Mike Greenberg is doing. Right, the show. right, right, right. It's going to be Greg Amsinger, yeah. So I, I was torn on it um, because the lifestyle was so dramatically different. Going to bed at 8 o'clock at night, getting up at 2.30 in the morning mm. to get there to do this show. But I knew that, like anything else, I'm so driven to provide for my kids and give them the best life possible that the money was so big I had to take it. And I would make anything good because I still appreciate any minute I have on the air. Like, I still don't think I deserve to be there. So I was very driven to make this great. And I was excited but heartbroken at the same time because of what I've built at MLB Network. And I just think it's just so special. And to be in the sport of baseball, all, you know, primarily is just a, a, a treat. And I verbally took the ESPN gig because my agent was basically telling me, you got to take this. This is unbelievable. You're eventually going to replace Chris Berman. This was all stuff they were telling me. ESPN, when Berman retires, then you'll be on NFL uh, primetime. You're the next Berman, all this stuff. And I was like, how can I pass this up? I got to do it. Um, Good Morning America, Possibilities. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, yeah. You know about this. How about this? It's huge. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going. So I told him, uh, MLB, guys, sorry, you can't. Just let me go. That's what I said. I'm like, just let me go. It's unlike any negotiation. To from so, so contractually, what, what's your situation? Is your contract up at MLB Network, or what, are you, do you have an out, or what's going my on here? My contract was up. My contract All was right. up, and I was a free agent. And they had I'm surprised they let it get to a point I, where your contract was up. Left themselves uh, well, exposed. They, exactly. Well, they didn't want to, but I wanted to. <laughs> I was like, you know what, guys? Thank you. They're trying to extend me. I was like, I just want to see what's out there. I knew we were winning Emmys for MLB tonight, and we're having a lot of success. And I, just, I knew that I... I had some market value. I just want to see what it was. So I accepted the deal to go to ESPN. Thought it was a done deal. Uh, it got ugly between me and MLB. MLB eventually matched the money, which I never thought they would. I was like, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. You have an agent handling this, right? You're not You're not doing your own negotiation. Okay, good. That would have been... Uh, yeah, it got so ugly that I had to step in a couple points. Wow. It did. It got, it got, that, it got that bad. And they matched the money, and then they basically said, for the off season, by all means, work wherever you want. You just can't work for ESPN. So I did that, and I, I look. I took the MLB deal because I love what I did. I mean, looking at Harold Reynolds when I told him that I was going to leave to go to ESPN, and the, his facial expression broke my heart. Looking at Dan Plesac, like these are my best friends now in life, and I just, I'm so glad Tim that I stayed. I'm. So glad that I stayed because every night, you know, I love baseball. There's no question I love baseball. But people are great too, and that's important. But I feel like I would, you know, I love all types of people and I would make new friends, but I would, of course, love those guys. The magic of the format of the show. It's something that I would never have again. Yeah, that's and true. That was, that's true. Because you guys have chemistry. Wild, you, can't re- you can't create that. Chemistry, 
But think about it. It's studio TV. It's the only studio show that I believe is, is bulletproof and evergreen. It will never go away. This is a studio show that will never go away. Why? Because it has live baseball throughout it. Yeah. Live event throughout a studio show. And it's all ad lib. It's so much fun. I'm a night owl. And I'm so glad I stayed. It was a tough decision. But I'm I'm three years into a seven year contract. So seven year contract. Oh my God! I've never heard of a seven year. Joe Buck doesn't have a seven year contract. <laughs> Holy yeah, shit! Yeah. I had no idea. Seven year contract. <laughs> God bless you, yeah. sir. That is incredible. So, Who is the agent? The agent needs to be recognized on this podcast <laughs> that no agents will ever listen to. <laughs> uh, Steve Hers is pretty great. His name is Steve Hers. He's at the the Montag Group now. It was its management. Uh-huh. Gideon Cohn is also one of my agents as well. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I'm actually familiar with these job. names. Yeah. Yes, they, they did a great job, and they're the best. I've been with them since 2003. I'll never leave. Oh, my God. 2003, and now they got a guy in New York signing seven-year deals. They probably don't think of that in Terre Haute days. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. That's incredible. Seven-year deal is a— Thank you. That, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Oh, my God. That's sick. Totally blessed. So uh, we've, we've all, I have all, I said I'll keep you 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and I think I'm already an hour in. This is what I do. It was not my intent, but I just get, in, I get all wrapped up in stories and, and listening to people's stories, and I'm fascinated by them. So you speak of the improv nature of your show. Uh, and uh, I was watching on the day of the trade deadline, and it was it was when the Cardinals had traded Fam earlier in the day. There was like maybe forty five minutes left before the deadline. You and Harold are going back and forth. It was a great exchange. I wound up uh, getting a video of it and tweeting it out, and then it, it made its way around uh, the baseball Twitter sphere. And it was you, and I thought it was a great. Co- I mean, I thought it was a perfect exchange. I'd be paraphrasing it right now, but the Cardinals had traded Fam. And you're like, why not look at Ozuna? And why not look at Carpenter? And why not look at Molina? And then Harold's like, really? And then you guys go back and forth. And you're like, the people are still going to show up. The people are still going to show up. I thought, first off, I thought it was honest, which was great. Super refreshing when watching, you know, network television. Uh, And then secondarily, it was candid. It was clearly improv. And you were passionate about it. So if you can, I would imagine you remember this exchange. uh, to, To think back to the thought process uh, that you uh, conveyed that afternoon on the MLB Network? Well, the money line of that commentary was my line, I think, was, you know, Cardinal fans are the most spoiled fans in professional sports. That's what I said. And being from St. Louis, I felt like I could say that. Right. I had just recently been on a Cardinal baseball bender. <laughs> I went back to St. Louis for a, uh, a series and I went Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Cardinals hooked me up. I was on the field, took my friends. I went to an entire weekend of baseball games. Now imagine the hundreds of baseball fans that took time to talk to me, right? So I am talking to so many fans of Cardinal Nation. And what I came away with, and, and look, is, did I have a bias? Probably, looking back, I try to be open-minded. Mike Matheny is my friend. I like Mike Matheny as a man. I think he's a great man. Um. But I just, I, I walked away with a, an experience I never had at a Cardinal game or a weekend of Cardinal games in my life. And that was almost like um, this jaded, anger, cynical, not good enough. Uh, I, I, that was disappointing me. And 
to see a guy like Mike Matheny, who'd never had a losing record, correct? I mean, I am, That's correct. I am factually correct on that. He never had correct. a losing record. To be spoken about as if he's the worst manager in baseball. And it was every other fan talking about him this way. And complaining about the product and complaining about the style of play. And I'm just like, I love the Cardinals. I grew up in St. Louis. I love St. Louis. But thankfully, I'm also privy to fan bases in 29 other markets. I know what they experience now, which means I know how good I have it as a fan. I know every year my favorite team, and I don't, this whole BS of a, oh, you're not professional if you root for a team. I don't root on the air. I do my job. I am professional. In the commercial break, I'm like, oh, Zuna just went on. <laughs> yeah, in the commercial break, but not on the air. Um, but I, that makes me good at what I do because I love the game. I love the Cardinals. To know every spring training that my favorite team is going to compete for a postseason spot makes me a blessed fan. The second I complain and say that's not good enough, Start reading about franchises in every sport all over North America. And just see, you know, it's the Patriots and it's the Cardinals. That's it. Like, that's it. LeBron leaves Cleveland, they're down the toilet. Yeah. Like, that's it. Okay, so I don't understand why there was so much anger that I experienced when I went to these Cardinal games. And I was like, wow, I guess, I guess this is string of from Tony La Russa to Mike Matheny made people forget about the days where Bernard Gilkey and Ray Lankford and Brian Jordan were rookies and this team would lose 90 games. And, you know, the days of Felix or Jose Okendo leading the team in hitting or Milt Thompson hitting 290 and everyone thinking he should have been an all-star. Like, <laughs> I guess this string of success made people forget about all that. And now Cardinal fans think, that they're the Yankees. They're the Dodgers. No, 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 no. It's the St. Louis Cardinals. It's amazing that John Mozeliak is that good at his job. It's amazing that Mr. DeWitt is this invested in the, in the product. If Mr. DeWitt was the owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks this past offseason, guess what? He would have signed J.D. Martinez because J.D. Martinez was Babe Ruth. Since the, or since the trade deadline when they got him a year ago. But no, the, the Diamondbacks worry about a budget. That decision is why the Diamondbacks won't be in the playoffs. Mr. DeWitt wouldn't have allowed that to happen. The Cardinals have first-class everything. And even though he didn't make the pitching changes and the moves that people wanted, they had a first-class manager to boot. Mike Schilt is doing a great job. This is not an indictment on him. But it's, come on, appreciate what you have. Your team's going to be in the mix. And the reason I said, why don't you trade uh, uh, Osuna? Why don't you trade Molina? Why don't you trade Carpenter? It, it was almost my way of speaking to Cardinal fans. If you're this pissed off about what's going on in St. Louis, let's do the reboot thing, which Cardinal fans have never experienced in the last 15 years. Yeah. What the Cubs did, what the Astros did, we'll lose 100 games for three years. If this is what you want, let's do it, St. Louis. Let's blow it up. Let's send Yachty on his way. Let's get rid of everybody, and let's have the Miami Marlins in St. Louis. Let's do that. <laughs> I, if, if, you're pissed, if you're pissed off winning 88 games, if that makes you upset, come on, bring on the Marlins, St. Louis. That's what I was trying to say. I, the thing that I think, because I, I I, we, we noted this at spring training this year, and I had a, a private conversation uh, with John Mazalek about it, both at spring training and then one I had later that night on July 31st. Uh, 
And I said, are you aware? And I said, I was kind of confused by it, but I, but as an observer and doing what I do for a living, I've never noticed this much angst in the fan base. And this goes back to uh, February and March of this year. And I said, I don't know what it, where it's coming from, but I know that there is anger. And I think, I think that there is a perception again, because this was going on in the early 2000s and then it went away, that Bill DeWitt is cheap. And I said, if you're going to operate off that premise, then how do you explain the Cardinals' pursuit of what many consider to be one of the most irresponsible contracts in Major League Baseball and John Carlos Stanton, unless you just think it was a bluff the entire time? Like, how can you reason that they were pursuing Stanton and his contract all while being cheap? And I think, Greg, I think, I think there are a number of reasons. I think Mike Matheny really angered some people as well, uh, right or wrong. I think that was a factor, and also right or wrong, and certainly in this case I think it's wrong, that the organization is cheap, and they know they're going to get 3 million fans a year, and so they don't care. And, and then when you say, especially as a local guy, that that's not the case, then you get thrown into the pile of, like, being a rights holder or carrying the water. And in my spot, I'm in a rare spot where I, this is all I do. I own my own... Uh, show and company, and so I, I have no need to, you know, kiss the Cardinals' ass, so to speak. Uh, it's just, it's my observation that it's an absurd position to say that the organization is cheap, but I do believe a healthy percentage of the fan base thought that in spring training, thought that at the trade deadline when you said what you said, and even though they've had success over the last month and a half, still think that. And I don't really get it, but I think that is part of the reason for the angst you observed in late July. Yeah, yeah, and and I understand why they would look at the product this way because of what they're used to. And where's our Carlos Beltran? Where's our Lance Berkman? Where's that signing that it's, it's a big money guy? It might be on the back end of his career. Well, they overlook the smart money that's invested in this team. Miles Michaelis is there a better free agent contract than what this two years, $16 million for yeah, this? Yeah. An ace. Dude's an ace. The Cardinals have always done the best at the walking the fine line of spending big money, of smart money, and developing young talent. And that's why there is no need for a complete reboot. Look, if, if John Mozeliak is ever going to be candid, I, I would venture to say that he wishes he didn't feel the pressure to sign Dexter Fowler. Yeah. This was a guy that was so obvious for the Cardinals that it was such a huge need, center fielder and a leadoff guy, that what, what I've learned from baseball brains, like a Buck Showalter, I'm not bringing Zach Britton into the game. Not yet. Not yet. I'll, put, I'll pitch Ubaldo a menace. Even though it was so obvious that Britton needed to be in that playoff game in Toronto. Um, the, the great geniuses don't want to do what every common person would say is the move here. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, really? John Mozeliak knew Dexter Fowler was clearly the free agent that in all signs pointed to St. Louis. But something just didn't sit well with him. He would have pulled the trigger earlier. It, I, I talked to him that, that year at the winter meetings, and he wasn't looking dory happy at that time because I could feel he was painted to a corner to have to sign this guy. Well, I think it's they wanted Adam Eaton. I think they wanted Adam Eaton, yeah. and when the White Sox got what they got from the Nationals, they're like, oh, my God, the price of poker is in a different world that we anticipated, yes. and now we got to go get a center fielder and leadoff guy, and we'll go get Fowler, and he doesn't really want to come to St. Louis. He's looking at, what, San Francisco, Toronto, or something like yeah. that, and so we got to throw him an extra year. Oh, God, we're doing something that we didn't really want or plan to do. I exactly. think that's Exactly. 
So I feel like the pressure that this fan base has kind of created, mm-hmm. John Mozeliak had his moment where he reacted to it with the Dexter Fowler signing. And I just wish, you know, I, when I go to a restaurant, I always ask the waiter or waitress, hey, what do you recommend? What's the, what's the best thing on this menu? Because I want an experience. I, I like expert opinions. I like people that know more about things than I do. Mm-hmm. Lead me. Lead me. I, right? I won't second guess you. I just wish Cardinal fans would just acknowledge the, the, the people that are in the powerful positions that, that they have because they are blessed to have them there. And let these people that have given them so many great memories continue to do it and to think that they need to play in a World Series every single year. Now you need to go talk to a therapist. If you're upset because your favorite team isn't playing in the World Series every year and you think that's John Mozeliak's fault, you need to talk about why your dad didn't play catch with you enough when you were a kid. You need therapy hours. This isn't about the Cardinals. This is about some problem you have with your life. There, there is a balance to the world. The Cardinals should not be playing in the World Series every year. This is breaking news. They should not be. That's that The world wouldn't be right. Okay? That's just not how it goes. So... Be okay with that, St. Louis. It's okay if they're not in the World Series every year. It is amazing that you go back to the 2000 season and every single year, and I really thought when you said what you said on the MLB Network, I was saying I wish they would make some trades as well and start selling to rebuild because I was thinking it, there was no way this team could do this. Every year since 2000, they have been in the mix for a playoff spot in September, even in 07 and 08. Uh, they've been in the, in the very least in the mix, even if they haven't gotten there. And then secondarily, Greg, as a fan and also doing what you do at the MLB Network, you know that 2006 certainly was not expected. 2011 was even less expected. And yet here, somehow to me anyway, from a regular season perspective, what has transpired over the last, I gather at this point, about seven weeks is the most surprised I've been by a Cardinal team's turnaround since I started following the team closely in 1982. This blindsides me. What about you and your peers with seeing what the Cardinals have done since right around the trade deadline. This is reminiscent of 2006, a team that I don't think anyone looked at. If you were going to do the power rankings in baseball that year, Cardinals wouldn't have been in the top five. Of all 30 teams, that 2016 would not have been in the top five. Yeah. And yet they just started, if there is such a thing as momentum, they had it. And the Wainwright in the ninth inning started really quick. And this decision to put Carlos Martinez in the back of the bullpen I'm telling you, the Cardinals are dangerous. And I hate putting a ton of pressure on a a veteran like Adam Wainwright. But if what we saw Sunday night, the curveball, if the curveball is back like that, oh, my goodness, changes everything to this team. So uh, the young pitching, such a pleasant surprise. Gomber and Flaherty and Gant. We all knew those kids had talent. We didn't think that they would perform like this on the biggest stage. Uh, this is what you need to have happen. It's what happened for the Dodgers last year. So many great stories. Uh, guys that had career years. Chris Taylor came out of nowhere. Kike Hernandez became a, a super utility star. Those are things that have to happen for your team to have that it factor. For some reason, the Cardinals have the it factor right now. And it's almost because addition by subtraction. Oh, that's know? absolutely. You I couldn't agree with you more. To injury. Yes. Tommy Pham and the attitude's gone. Uh, Matheny and his inability to connect to everyone in the clubhouse was removed, 
and all of a sudden, my goodness, this team takes off. It's crazy. Final line for you, because I've already kept you like an hour longer than I uh, told you I was going to. But i got to tell you <laughs> something. I've loved this conversation. Uh, final, final line of thought on this. I look at it, the National League is going, I, I, you could say, Tim, we're going to give you yet $100 worth of action. You can get the, the, the Rockies. And I'd be like, fine. I feel like they got as good a shot as anybody. It's, it's, it's wide open. That's how I look at it, especially now with the Cubs having the back end of the bullpen situation they have from a health standpoint. But at the same time, in 2011, I feel like if the Cardinals and Phillies, that 2011 Phillies team, play 100 times, I, th- I feel like the Cardinals might win 15 or 20 times. 80% of the time, the Phillies are going to win. So even when there is a powerhouse, you can see what winds up happening. This year, I don't feel like there's a powerhouse in the National League, and so it's wide open. How do you handicap the National League at this moment? This is going to blow your mind because I look at things as to, like, right now. It's like the market. Don't, don't ask me about the market a week ago. What is it doing right now, the mm-hmm. stock market? Mm-hmm. I look at the National League and the news of Brandon Morrow being lost for the year when Pedro Strope has a bad hammy. They're going to get him back in October when they're going to rely on Steve Cisek and Brandon Kinsler, who struggled. And, oh, my God, they needed Jorge De La Rosa to get his save. First time in his 15-year career, the Cubs needed that. The name of the game, once you get to the sprint, I call the sprint the postseason, um, is bullpenning. You need a bullpen. And as it stands right now, if I had to give power rankings of the teams that are in the National League, I would put the Brewers, number one, because of Jeffress, Hader, and Knable. Mm. That is dynamic. I put them the number one. My, they're my favorite to go to the World Series. And these are the two wild card teams I'm put one and two. And the Cardinals. Those are the two How about that? teams built to go to the World Series based on their bullpen. Now, if Carlos Martinez was still in the rotation, I wouldn't put the Cardinals in that mix. But putting Bud Norris in the seventh, putting Hicks in the eighth, putting Carlos Martinez in the ninth, that is right there with the Milwaukee Brewers. Those are one and two. My third, which could be a number one based on one guy, the Atlanta Braves. Wow, going Braves. Interesting. This rookie pitcher, Kyle Wright, former first-round pick from uh, Vandy, I think, has the stuff to be a la Wainwright 06. If he was put in the back end of their bullpen, changes the way I look at the Atlanta Braves. That's huge arm. That was through a 98-99 with crazy, uh, crazy slider. So they, that's why the Indians are discussing putting Trevor Bauer in the bullpen. Once you get to the sprint, you need the weapons. They don't have one with Cody Allen uh, struggling from the mm-hmm. right side. They have Miller and they have him, but you need that right-handed guy and that's why they're, they're kicking the tires on this. Carlos Martinez changes everything, and that's why I've got the Cardinals number two, but the Brewers are my number one favorite to go to the World Series in the National League. And if I'm not mistaken, the teams that currently have the best record, which speaks to don't tell me what the market was doing, tell me what it's doing now, uh, you would therefore have four and five with the, the Cubs and Dodgers. The Dodgers would be, yeah, five. I, I'm not... I'm not all in on the Dodgers. I still think that the Rockies are eventually going to win that division. Wow. The Rockies bullpen, yeah. And the Rockies bullpen isn't that great either. Um, The way Davis has has grinded through to get over 30 saves, but they have really, really struggled. I like Adam Adovino, uh, but his month of uh, September so far hasn't been the best. I I just don't think any other team in the National League has, has the weapons that the Brewers and the Cardinals have. And Corey Knable is really the key. He was the nastiest closer last year in baseball to me. 
He was unhittable. He didn't get the ball in the air. Uh, dealt with injuries this year. But if he could just be 80% of what he was, pitching in the seventh with Josh Hader, who's out of this world good, and Jeremy Jeffress, who's become the stopper, he, he looks like uh, K-Rod right now for the Milwaukee Brewers. I just think that bullpen is nasty, and it could be the X factor. And if Chapman comes back on the other side, don't be shocked if the Yankees go to the World Series. Yeah, Chapman looks like he might be uh, getting back right on, on time. Final question for you, sir. It's I mean, especially when you're in the middle of a seven-year deal, seven-year deal, is there something, I mean, it's, my read on it is you're like, yeah, you know what, if I'm doing MLB Network until I retire, I'm happy. Is, is that a fair assessment, or are you like, you know what, I love this, but there's one more thing I need to do in broadcasting that I've always wanted to do? Where are you? What is what is the play here, Greg? Yeah, yeah that's a really great question. I, um, I, I, it's not the first time it's been asked. I do play by play in the offseason with the Big Ten Network just for fun of college basketball. I really do enjoy that. Um, you know, calling games is different than hosting a studio show. I love – the impact that you make hosting studio shows. Uh, what I mean by that is if I royally suck call, calling a Cardinal game, if I am terrible and you're in St. Louis and you hate Amsinger calling Cardinal games, are you not going to watch a Cardinal game ever again? Right. right. No. Right. You're just going to hit mute. Right. You're just going to hit mute. You know, the rating's not going to go up. It's not going to go down because of the broadcasters. But when you're in a studio, you know, I'm sorry, but Ernie Johnson and, and Charles Barkley and Shaq, those guys come on camera, you're like, oh, my gosh, he's watching, right? Right. I, I, I've had the same reaction. People have said, when I see you, Harold, and Plesak on TV, I get so fired up. That is such a great compliment. Yeah, I that's true, though. That is that is a great compliment. And you're right. And, I, you know, the guys on Fox on Sunday, uh, NFL – you got. I mean, that's that is a hell of a comp because I would put you guys in that that same kind of uh, pantheon, so to speak, of studio shows. That is a hell of a compliment because yeah, you're Thank not. You, if, yeah, if you see, so. if you see, it's like pardon the interruption. Back in the day, you're like, oh, Wilbon's out or Cornyers was out. I'm not going to watch it, even though Bob Ryan or whomever might be great. It's not my guys, so I'm not going to watch right. it. Right, right, and that's the hook, and that's what keeps me coming back is the impact that you make on that on that television property. Uh, as I say that. Um, you know, it is a lifestyle grind. You know, it's three hours a night, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern, um, you know, Monday to Friday. I'm not here to complain at all. I love what I do. But I do want to experience all that this life can give me. So I, I do see, you know, my son's eight when he's off to college at that time, you know, exploring, you know, being the voice of a team, you know, um, exploring that idea. And I'm not going to say any one specific team because I don't want you know, those broadcasters to get upset or anything like that. I'm not looking for anyone's job. But, you know, to go to the ballpark, I love baseball. I, don't, I wouldn't want to call 162 games. But, you know, it's just a different part of this lifestyle that I would like to just enjoy. Um, by that point, I'd be early 50s, you know, barely 50, and – I just think it'd be a, a good time to travel a bit more and, uh, you know, enjoy uh, the ballpark, the sights and sounds. I think baseball's a, a unique marriage for me. And going to Cooperstown every year and, and emceeing the uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony, I mean, one of the biggest thrills of my career, Tim, and you'll appreciate this, was on Saturday, the Saturday event where the Frick Award winner and the Spink Award winner are presented. It's not the Sunday event where the players get in. Right. Well, I MC, I MC that event on stage. Oh, I didn't so know MC that. Wow. I, every year, I, I introduce all the living Hall of Famers, 
and I emceed Bob Costas being inducted into the Hall. <laughs> How about that? And, and oh, wow. What a, are you kidding? Like, uh, what an amazing moment in my, not career, but in my life. Yeah. I met this guy when I was 19 years old. So baseball has been very, very good to me, and I just don't see myself bailing on the sport at all. It's, it's a great marriage. Well, I, uh, I, like I said, I apologize for going as long as I did. I really didn't anticipate this long, but I loved it. I loved the combination of uh, broadcasting slash career slash baseball talk. Um, and uh, I'm very happy for you and uh, all of your success, especially when I know what the roots are now much, and I have a greater appreciation for it. I mean, listen, St. John the Baptist means something to me when you grew up, you know, in South City. That's incredibly impressive. And I also just driving around and doing what you did during spring break to try and get a job. I mean, that shows some some stuff that you just can't teach. And uh, I'm happy that it's it's been rewarded. You're obviously outstanding at what you do. So congratulations on all your success, Greg, and continued success, brother. Thank you so much for the time. Tim, thank you. I look forward to this. Uh, you're a supreme talent. And this isn't just us patting each other on the asses here at the end, but Tim, really, I've never had a chance to tell you this. You're a super talent. You're great on television as well. St. Louis is lucky that you decided to pass on SNY in New York. St. Louis is lucky. That's all I'll say. That's very kind of you, brother. I appreciate it, man. I loved this conversation. Thanks so much for the time, brother. I appreciate it, Greg. All right, Tim. Take care, buddy. Take it easy, man. So there it is, Greg Amsinger of the MLB Network. I would imagine if Doug Vaughn were listening, he would be hitting the gong, and that's fine. I understand it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I had no idea that he um, looked at me uh, the way he uh, said right there. Um, but I can tell you this, I I don't really, I don't, I, I will say this, maybe this will come off the wrong way, although it is intended to be a compliment, I have never worked with a broadcaster um, where I'm like, wow, that person can do something I can't do. I've never, ever, I don't know if, I don't know if maybe that'll change at some point. I don't know, but I have worked with minds where I'm like, oh my God, that person's mind fires so quickly that that is what makes them absurdly talented. And I'm in awe of that. I'm in awe of when I did shows with Artie Lang how quickly his mind fires when I did shows with Martin Kilcoin, how quickly his mind fires and uh, now Doug Vaughn, how quickly his mind fires. And then the cat's ability to deadpan. I can't deadpan. I, I turn into a, a little lady giggling uh, like I'm sitting on a feather and the cat can stay in character. So with Amsinger, I'm just like, good for you because what separated him from the pack was the stories he told about what he was willing to do to put himself in the best position possible to get a job, number one, to just get a job. And I'm surprised it took him that long to get a job, honestly, uh, and, and take the job in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, be willing to do news. And I was hearing the exact same thing uh, about, hey, you know, there's a lot of white dudes doing sports. Have you ever thought about news? I heard that exact same thing in 1999 in Little Rock. Um and so he did it, but like driving around to TV stations in the Midwest to get himself a job and then going up to New York and auditioning and just flat ad-libbing. Woo! That is, that is a, again, this is inside baseball broadcasting stuff, but I'm telling you, that is a gangster move and good for him. Uh, and good for him for being part of a show that is a show for real that you just look forward to watching. As a baseball fan and as a most likely connections to St. Louis, if you're listening to this, 
Uh, that's a show on the MLB Network that you know is going to be a good broadcast, similar in the sense to what Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, and, and Shaquille O'Neal have with the NBA on TNT, and then what you know what you think of is, is Bradshaw and Howie Long and Jimmy Johnson because they've been there forever, but also Kurt Menefee and, and Michael Strahan um, with that chemistry they have on their show. So they have that, and plus they, they have the live look-ins. He's right. It's a great show. And how about the get-up thing? How about that? I mean, it's super results-oriented now, considering how big of a debacle that's become for ESPN. But Mike Greenberg is, I think, in his 50s, and he can, quote-unquote, absorb that hit. In other words, you know, whether he goes back to Mike and Mike or he just anchors SportsCenter, whatever happens if they get rid of that show, he's fine. If Amsinger goes there and he's 37, 38, 39 when he starts that up and it's an absolute disaster, oh, that, that, for somebody who hadn't been at ESPN forever, that can end a career. And, th- and so instead, it turns into him getting a seven-year deal at the MLB Network. I am telling you, when he told me that, I'm just like, God bless you. I am so happy for you. And even if he would have gone to MICDS or Burroughs, I'd feel the same way. I don't give a shit. That stuff just doesn't, I just, whatever. But the fact that he came from St. John the Baptist and didn't even know about going to college when he was speaking at his graduation and he turned it into what he's got going on now. I'm just like, uh, good for you. And, and, and on top of it, it was a hell of an interview and love the baseball discussion as well. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed it. I love when we have interviews like that. My synapses are firing because I'm just like, this is, this is great. I mean, if you could have gone, Pete could have gone, uh, yeah, we're not recording anymore. I got fine. Fuck it. I'm still going to talk. I'm fascinated by this. I'm all in. Uh, so I enjoyed it. I always enjoy your feedback. Team McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Guest recommendations, Inside STL suggestions, business suggestions, questions. Just if you could, don't come off like a complete prick. Even if you are a complete prick, and trust me, I know about that, use the fine hand. There's some Italian phrase Frank Cusimano always uses. Uh, I can't use it as a, as a mick, but I, I could ask my wife about it, ask Frank about it. It means the fine hand, and what that means is the tone sets the table for the discussion. So... Even if you want to come at me hard, the result will be better if you go, hey, I know this might come off the wrong way, but, and then at that point, you can probably say damn near anything, and I'm I'm going to be receptive to it. I want your suggestions. I want your feedback. I hope you enjoyed this interview, but other things, other guests you want us to, to interview, um, you know, we're all in, man. It's Because it's, at this point, we've interviewed 50 people that I really wanted to interview, and it's like, okay, now I got to go, okay, who do we want to talk to? It's not, you know, we've we've dug in. Uh, so we want to keep getting ideas and people that you want to hear from and, and topics you want to hear us discuss. So I like the feedback. You never have to apologize for sending an email ever, 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 ever. Uh, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Thank you to Ryan Kelly for his sponsorship of the studios, the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Thank you to Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, online at EvergreenSTL.com for his presenting sponsorship of our guest, Greg Amsinger. Thank you to James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, online at CarltonInsurance.net. Thank you to Seth Goldcamp for his sponsor of our videos on social media, online at DesignerService.com. And thank you to Johnny Londoff and the Londoff family for their sponsorship of the show online at Landoff.com and Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth exit. Loved this episode. Hope you did as well. For my producer, Gangster Pete. For my producer, Kenny Iggy Strode. For our videographer, Nick Yale, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.